Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the season opener is in the books for the Utes and the Wildcats. As expected, Utah wins 40-17 to the final. They definitely left points on the field. Both teams did. Dropping touchdown passes, Weber State once, Utah twice. Kicking field goals instead, in the case of the Utes, missing an extra point. There was a lot of stuff that could have happened differently. But in the end, Utah gets the win, Weber State gets the loss, and no one will remember a lot of this later on because there are much bigger games to be played in conference going forward. You'll hear from Kyle Whittingham, his take on what went wrong and what needs to be cleaned up before the BYU game. That's coming up in our next segment. Right now, though, we are going to hear from BYU offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick. Hey, Rod, talking about the Cougars as they prepare for the University of Arizona. Here's A-Rod. Wanted to ask about getting ready for Arizona. I just asked Peeney about this, but it's an interesting challenge when you're facing a team that only played a few games last year, new staff, new approach, lots of transfers. Talk about that challenge that you face as you're, you're trying to prep to see what this defense is going to do when, when it is a, a very different team than, than maybe it was last year or the year before. Yeah, it's a good point. It's, it's a huge challenge and it's honestly, it's a big advantage to them in this game. Um, you know, they, they, uh, they know a lot more about us than we know about them. And so, um, you know, we've been, we've been practicing and trying to learn everything we can about coach Brown's defense, but, um, you know, it, there's, there's a lot to it and he's got a lot of, a lot of different things, a lot of different options to him schematically that he can go to depending on who he thinks his best players are. And so it's a guessing game for us knowing, you know, trying to guess what they're going to do. And, um, it, it does present a challenge for sure. And, and I, you know, you just have to say that's that's one advantage they have in this game is knowing more about us than we know about them. The reputation he has is loving the blitz and bringing a lot of pressure, but that also leaves openings and opportunities. Do you like facing teams that are that are high pressure like that? Uh, I think you know it's just it's just football. You know, every every week is a new challenge. I, I do know that these guys are excellent coaches. Uh, their whole defensive staff are veteran guys that. Uh, have you know extensive college and NFL experience, and and we know that they they have some good players returning, and they have added a lot of good players as well. So they've definitely definitely have our respect. Okay, let's go, Mitch, and then Dana. Yeah, coach, you you worked close with Kalani over the years. Um, gets that contract extension through twenty twenty five. What's maybe the most impactful thing that that Kalani is currently doing in in, in the program that maybe the public doesn't see on a daily basis that you see in the program does. I just, he's just a hundred percent genuine and consistent human being. I mean, Kalani, Kalani, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He loves everybody in this program. And, uh, you know, Kalani's the guy that the guy, you know, the guy that's vacuuming the hallway at 10 o'clock at night, you know, Kalani knows that guy's name and asks him about how his family's doing. And, and right down to the, right down to the, you know, he treats the most recent walk-on guy the same way he treats Zach Wilson. I mean, he's just, that's just who Kalani is. And um, I love, love him and love working for him. And you began working with him in 2018 in the first game that that year was was against Arizona, obviously different Arizona program uh, three years ago. A lot has changed then. But uh, maybe what are your memories, if, if any, from that game that you're first on the BYU staff and maybe just how the offense has evolved over these three years for you, for your team uh, in these last couple of years since that game? 
Well, yeah, I mean, as far as Arizona goes, there's really no no correlation at all. It's totally different staff and players. I mean, there, there I think there is a couple of players still remaining from that team. A few. I, I one defensive back in particular. I remember this. I still see on the roster, but um, not a lot to compare to in that in that game. Um, but as far as our offense goes, yeah, we're a very very different team now than we were then. You know, that first year as a staff, it was. Uh, a situation where offensively we were just trying to, um, you know, take care of the football, stay in the game and get to the fourth quarter with a chance to win. And that was, that was pretty much our strategy most of that season. And later in the year, we, when Zach started playing pretty well, we kind of opened it up a little more, but early in the year it was, let's, let's not beat ourselves. And, uh, and then that's been a process, but the last couple of years we've evolved to try to be a little bit more aggressive and, and throw the ball down the field a little more. And, and um, so, you know, now this year, whole new challenge. It's a whole new challenge, new season, and it starts with this game against Arizona. Hey, Coach, um, any change you've noticed in Jaron this last uh, week or so since he was officially named the starter? Is he kind of acting even more of a leader than he was before, <laughs> have more command of the offense, or, um, or is he just the same old Jaron? Yeah, Jaron's a really steady, consistent guy. So I, I haven't seen a big difference in him, but that's, that's a good thing because he was already carrying himself like, like a leader and like, like he expected to be the starter. And uh, if there's been any change at all, I would just say that his teammates now, you can see their confidence in him, that they know he's going to be taking that first snap. And I think they're excited to go out and play with him. Uh, Jared and then Mitch. Aaron, what's it like as a coordinator, as you prepare for, for game one, to look around and see so many guys that have already proven themselves on the field in one way or another but virtually your entire offense has 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 had experience and and had moments where they've really shown what they can do. That's got to be pretty nice when you're the coordinator. Yeah, we we have some good players that have played in big games, and um, that is that is it is comforting to know that we have some experienced players uh, because of the fact that we don't know a lot about what we're going to get in this game. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of unpredictability in this situation. And so we're going to have to, we're going to need some of our more experienced players to, to uh, step up and, and, you know, there's going to be some information gathering early in this game, you know, trying to figure out what their plan of attack is and, and who their best players are. I mean, there's a lot of question marks for us that we don't know about. And so I'm hoping that our experienced players kind of help us, uh, you know, ride that, ride out that storm or whatever, if, if there is one. And so, um, but yeah, it's it's nice to have some guys that have played football, and then but then on the other hand, you know, I keep reminding our players that, you know, this is anything you've done in the past doesn't doesn't count now. I mean, it's the only thing that counts is this game, and so uh, I do have a lot of confidence in those guys because they because of our experience level. But um, we got to go prove it again. That's that's what's fun about football. You got to prove it every week. But I wanted to drill down just really quick on the O line because you know if you're playing a pressure defense, a lot is on those guys and their communication and everything. Do you see them being ready? Yeah, we have a good offensive line. And I keep, I don't know, I, I just keep hearing, getting a lot of questions about our depth there and stuff, and I don't really get it because a lot of those guys have played a lot of football. And, uh, you, you know, even the ones, a couple of the ones that supposedly, that I guess maybe weren't listed as starters last year, have played starter snaps 
for two years, not just one year. And so there's, there's a, this, it's a good group. And I have a lot of confidence. Those guys are going to play well. Coach, you mentioned, you know, there's going to be some questions that you got to information you got to gather from Arizona in that game early on. I'm curious for, for your offense, was there question marks that you had going into training camp that you feel in the past month have been answered now that game week is here? Yeah, a lot of them, but I'm, I'm not going to tell you what they are, but yeah, <laughs> um, sure. That's fall camp. You know, you're trying to figure out who's the next guy up at this position or who's going to win this position battle. Uh, you know, can we count on this guy? Can we use this guy in different ways than we have in the past? You know, there's lots of things like that that you try to try to figure out in your fall camp. And, and uh, but um, so, yeah, I, I would say, yes, we know more about our team right now and we've answered a lot of questions. Um, and now, but now, you know, again, you got to go prove it on the field. So I, I think I know more, but it remains to be seen in a real game. I wanted to ask you too about Dallin Holker. I know you mentioned him earlier in the week on, on that coordinator's corner show, but um, he's single digit body fat. I mean, have, have you ever seen a return missionary come back and, and look like a guy that's ready to, to compete in, in week one and, and provide valuable uh, playing time for you guys right away? No, it doesn't happen very often. You know, usually, usually you gotta be, and we, we, you know, we are being careful with him too, honestly. Um, you know, he's, even though he is in great shape, we're being smart with his reps because we've had just experience with this, that, you know, uh, guys that are fresh off a mission, there's a good chance they get injured. And um, so we're, be, we've been smart with his reps. We're managing his load. We've got some other good tight ends. So, um, but yeah, he's an impressive guy. There's BYU's offensive coordinator, Aaron Roderick. When we come back, we'll hear from Kyle Whittingham. We'll also hear from Charlie Brewer, the Utes quarterback, Tavion Thomas, who may have won the running back job. Uh, Also, Devin Lloyd, phenomenal pick. And Clark Phillips showing up with some big plays as well. That's all coming up next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The Cougars hit the road for their season opener in Las Vegas to square off against Arizona. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7.30, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to hear from the Utes after their 40-17 to win over Weber State. We're going to start with the players. Quarterback Charlie Brewer, 19 of 27, completed about 70% of his passes, 233 yards. He did throw an interception, but it was on a Hail Mary at the end of the first half. Um, also, Tavion Thomas, who really looked good, ran for a couple of touchdowns. Devin Lloyd, great interception. Clark Phillips making some big plays. Those are the four players you'll hear from right now on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Charlie, how, how was the offense flowing? It seemed like you guys were getting some things going early, and then, uh, but there was also a couple of stalls when you guys got into the red zone. Yeah, I think um, you know, it was good to get a win, but I definitely think that you know, we need to improve in a lot of areas. You know, headed into next week, which I think we will. Um, you know, wins a win, we'll take it. Um, but we definitely, you know, need to improve for sure. Davion, you obviously had a big day today, two touchdowns. You're starting to kind of separate yourself from everybody. How did it feel tonight, just to 
Uh, I feel like we did good as a team. Uh, I just, I was just so happy just to be out there uh, with my guys out there, um, just playing football, playing a game that I love. So I know we got a lot of work to do, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, with the lightning delay, what does that do to you guys? Obviously, you know, pregame, you're trying to get it cranked up. You play half a quarter, and then you guys have to stop for like an hour and a half. Um, as far as the energy goes, we just have to, as soon as we step on the field, we have to just ramp it back up. But it's more so just uh, finding a way to stay warm and keeping our bodies right. Um, you know, a lot of guys, including myself, you know, just dealing with some minor cramps and stuff like that. Just staying warm is the biggest issue. Yeah, what was it like to also have the Ty and Jordan memorials and different things that way? I mean, how did that affect you guys and being able to see that? I thought that was amazing, and um, the reaction by his mother really was just a beautiful thing, and I think that speaks for itself, and, you know, I credit to the university, you know, they are, you know, are amazing for, you know, setting that up, and, you know, like I said, I think, I thought it was beautiful. Charlie, where, where does this offense need to improve going into next year's game? Yeah, I just think we need to probably improve on finishing drives. Um, felt like we probably left at least 14 points out there. Um, that we could have had. Um, and we just, you know, we need to watch the film and kind of dive into exactly what kind of what we need to fix. And, uh, you know, I, I know we will. So I, I like the path we're headed on. Clark, what was it like playing in front of a, in front of a packed house crowd like this? Uh, a lot of y'all know it was my first time actually being in front of a packed house. And it was special. It was special. I think um, the energy was, you know, contagious. And, you know, we, we fed off of it and we, we kind of did our thing tonight. You guys, you guys seem to have kept their, their passing game at bay a little bit. And no one really went off. How did you feel like the uh, secondary performed? Uh, you know, there's still things to improve, but I felt like we, we held them in check, like you said, and we did our thing. Um, it's game one. There's going to be game one mistakes, and we look to build off of this game. Devin, obviously, they're an FCS team, but Weaver State's a pretty good team. How would you assess their ability tonight against you guys? Uh, definitely a tough team, like you said, a very well-coached team as well. Um, they were very disciplined as far as um, their schematic um, plays and stuff like that. So, um, you know, credit goes to them. You know, they fought to the very end. Charlie, how, how comfortable were you tonight with the play calling? It seemed like Coach Ludwig opened things up and, and really kind of let you go to work. Yeah, I felt really good. Um, you know, like I said, I just, you know, feel like it starts with me. I feel like I could play a little bit better. Um, but, you know, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was a good start, you know, kind of a good starting point. And now we can, you know, kind of figure out exactly what we need to get better at. You obviously have that, that fumble in the second half. What, what was kind of your mentality after that and trying to come back and, and then be able to have that second touchdown? Uh, just to forget about the last play. Uh, my team, they lifted me up. So it was pretty good to have them boys by my side telling me, like, to forget about the play. Just, you know, just keep running hard. Just keep doing your thing. So I, I feel like that helped. I helped that a lot. In the locker room during that uh, rain delay, come right off that kickoff return. I, I imagine it was uh, not too pleasant to be in there. Man, I just love my team because we're super competitive. They jumped out on us, and shoot, we looked at each other. We didn't been in worse situations. I felt like and came back from us. So that I was just a stumbling block. We were excited to attack. How long did did Whit yell at you guys for giving up that that kick return? <laughs> Man, hey. it, was, I mean, it was one play. You know, it was a very good play by them, but. Yeah, he wasn't really, you know, too like worried. I said, we've been in worse situations, so that was nothing. Charlie, where do, you, where do you think this offense can go? Obviously, saw a glimpse of it, but what, what, do we, what can we see? Yeah, I feel like we can, you know, be really good in the running game as well as the passing game. Um, I feel like we, we can be definitely an explosive offense, one of the top offenses, you know, in the Pac-12 in the country. So, um, you know, we've got to keep improving to do that, but 
you know, I feel like we definitely can. Was it different to be able to now be with the youth? Now you get the first game in and be able to do that. What, what was that difference is like with, with that and Baylor? Yeah, no, it was good. It was good to finally get out here and, you know, play as a Utah Ute. I was really excited. Um, excited to, you know, be out here with these guys. We've been working really hard, so, you know, love these guys and was excited to get out there with them. You know, you've been through a handful of season opening season opening games now. Do you still get, like, the butterflies? Are there any nerves going into a first game? You know? Um, yeah, as far as, you know, just going out there, and it happens really before every game, but it's not anything too crazy. It's just... You know, the little butterflies, like right before, you know, you're about to, like, as soon as the ball is kicked off, you know, you're going to go on the field. And then, but you, at the end of the day, you know that your preparation will speak volumes with your play. And so it's nothing to you'd be scared of or anything, just, you know, more anxiety than, you know, just nervousness. You're one of the only guys, well, the only guy in this thing is here that knows what the BYU rivalry is all about. What are you going to tell the team about this week? Did you say, what was that me? The BYU rivalry. Oh. Yeah, you know what it is, you've experienced it. Uh, what, what, uh, what are you going to tell your team about it? Um, that's, you know, it's up there with, you know, the best rivalries in all of college football. I mean, and more than anything, it's, you know, about keeping the streak alive and really just understanding that the intensity needs to be upped because we don't lose to those guys. Um, it's plain and simple. Clark, did, did you see the ball pop off your helmet on, on Devin's pick? Yeah, I actually told him he stole my pick. But... <laughs> You know, I put my head down trying to make a, a big hit, and he took the ball. So he did my job, if you would, you know, in the secondary. Charlie, you've got guys throughout the offseason that, you know, guys like Brent and Cole and then, you know, Theo and Ricky. Then you have guys, you have those guys that, that received a lot of praise for their play. And then you have guys like Dalton Kincaid and Solomon Enos that came up big tonight. What does that say about the offense? Yeah, I think we have a lot of talented guys, like you said, you, the guys you just listed. Um, you know, and we'll we'll do our best to, to spurt the ball to all those guys. You know, sometimes one or two guys may have a bigger night than the other guys, but uh, you know, I definitely think that's a really solid group of the guys you just listed. Devin, Weber State came into the game with a two-time FCS All-American running back. They ended up winning. Yeah, um, like you said, he's a very great running back. He runs hard, and we just played a Simon Sound football at the end of the day. Um, Coach Galley had a great game plan, as usual, and it was really just on us to execute our assignment and be gap sound. And I think it all starts up front. The D line did an incredible job. You know, getting knocked back and just uh, really setting the tone for the trenches. And then me and Nephi and really everybody who comes in, we just come in and make the play and, you know, fill our gap. Coach Witt has said that he wants to play, you know, a bunch of running backs here early and try to figure things out. With the way you played tonight, do you feel like you earned a bigger role and maybe some more carries next week? Uh, <clears throat> I just want to just keep taking day uh, day by day, you know, wherever happened, happened. We got pretty good running backs in the uh, room. Any any one of us could come in and do uh do our job, so I'm just trying to you know work every day, work hard every day, and you know when my name Kyle just produce. There are the U players. Now here's the head coach Kyle Whittingham. Kyle, what do you think of the way Charlie played tonight? It seemed like you and Boyd Floodwood were trying to open things up a bit and really trying to let him operate. Yeah, I thought he did a good job. His numbers were good, not great, but good. Um, 
he did throw the pick, but that's not really his pick. Is it was, you know, we decided to try to throw one up at the end of the first half and see if we uh, could come down with it. And so that really was not a, a bad throw. That was uh, what he was coached to do. But but I thought he was very poised in the pocket. Uh, did a nice job keeping his eyes downfield. Um, was accurate. It was close to 70%. I guess what's 19 to 27? That's just over close to 70. Anyway, right there. And uh, did a good job running the offense. So I thought he was positive. Yeah, we had a few drop passes that yeah, probably did. touchdowns. What, <laughs> what, yep. what can you do there? Get better and catch them. I mean, I had a bunch of sh- stuff <laughs> I wrote down here. I got tired of writing it. But the first quarter, he let, let a kickoff return out for a touchdown. We drop a touchdown pass. We we have to burn a timeout on a field goal because we got one of ten guys out there. We got ten guys on offense for the play that uh, Yasmin ran the reverse. Uh, we dropped two more balls, then we miss a PAT after a delay of game. We got to be more clock aware. So there, we got a whole laundry list of stuff to work on for this week. It'll keep us busy, and uh, as players and coaches, we got to be better next week. Well, we'll see. Put the ball on the ground. You can't put the ball on the ground, and so that's that was the big downside of it, but uh, he did show you a taste and a, and a little bit of a glimpse of what he's capable of and what he's all about. So we'll look at the film uh, and grade it hard and and uh, come up with uh, a pecking order. It's not going to be or, 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 or this week. We're going to have a, a one, two, three, four, and we'll see what the film says. Are you able to, to really get a good idea of the offensive line play before you go back and watch film, or is that something you kind of you can get a feel for it, but not you can't see the details of it and, and why things are not happening at times, or what you know what what is happening at times. You, you, get it, you know, I tend to watch the big board and I can see a lot better uh, vantage point on uh, from the sidelines watching that and see what's going on up front than you can just watch it on the field. But but uh, I don't think we played well enough up front. Just my first impression, and that's not to pick on those guys because I don't think we played well enough at a lot of positions tonight. Yeah, it was uh, just trying to, you know, kept it reset every time a lightning bolt comes down or whatever. You, you go back to 30 minutes on the clock, and so they kept resetting us over and over. So we just kept them informed of what uh, you know as the time would tick down, and then and then uh, as we got to the point where we were pretty certain that that uh, we were going to get through the 30 minutes without another delay, then we start stretching and that type of stuff. But for, for me personally, I just told them to stay focused and, and keep their minds on the game, and and uh, they did a good job of that. I think they, they did a really good job of that. Are you able to say how close Jeremy Pump is to being able to play? Kyle? We hope for this week or next week, nine days from now, is would be ideal. How, how do you feel the uh, secondary fared? I mean, it seems like you got to be able to hold them a little bit. Yeah, they made some plays. Uh, quarterback completed too many balls, though. He was... He was uh, Nearly, you know, 65-ish percent, um, and so uh, we did come away with one interception on the tipped ball, the ball that hit off the helmet. Devin made a great play on that, but uh, we got to get better in the secondary, and that's not just them; it's the under coverage. There was a lot of times linebackers needed to give help to the secondary that we didn't do, but uh, we did make some nice plays. I thought Clark Phillips showed up and made some nice plays. Uh, J.T. Broughton recovered. He had the guy had a couple steps on him. He recovered and made a play on that deep ball. Fabian Marks played made a nice play on the deep ball in the second half. So there was a lot of good things, but uh, things that we can work on. You had a good goal line stand before. We did. Well, it was a great goal line stand, but it's ridiculous. We allow a 20-play drive or whatever. It seemed like 20 plays. I don't know how much was it. It was... 
17 plays seemed like a million, but but uh, yeah, they ate up seven, eight minutes on the clock and kept the ball away from our offense. But it had a good ending because we were able to to uh, bow our necks and and uh, get out of that. And that was a that was encouraging. As encouraging as that was, it was discouraging for our offense to get stuffed on the on the uh, one half yard line when it was fourth and a half yard. How do you guys fix some of the red zone stuff that was going on today? I mean. You had two or three drives die inside the, I think the 12 or 14. Yeah, so we just got to keep working on, and, and uh, we uh, actually were four for four. Well, not four for four because we don't count field goals as, as wins, but in the red zone. But uh, we, we just got to we work. It's not for a lack of work on it. I can tell you that we, we pay a lot of attention to it during practice and and work on it uh, a high percentage of the time. We just got to execute better, and and uh, you know we dropped one like I said that was going to be a touchdown, and and. Uh, just need to get better. You had a lot of passing tonight. Was that more trying to get the run game established, or is that kind of what you're going to see with Charlie in there? Well, we think Charlie's a real uh, capable quarterback. You saw Cam come in and throw a couple good balls, too, and, and uh, he's, a, he's a good player. But uh, we know we need to throw the football better. We need to throw it more productively, more efficiently. Uh, than we have, uh, well, certainly than we did last year. And not that we threw it bad in 19 and 18 because we were over 3,000 yards each season and, and led, uh, led the conference in several categories, I think completion percentage and yards per attempt and things like that. But, but if you want to be an elite team, you got to be able to throw the ball with uh, a lot of uh, you know, just productivity and, and getting, uh, you know, getting, getting chunk yardage. It's hard to put together a 10, 12 play drive, five, six yards at a time. You're going to screw it up somewhere along the way. You got to get those big chunk plays and uh, which usually occur in the throw game. Not always, but usually. How satisfying was it to see Cam, you know, come in, complete two passes, throw a score, just given the injury and just the road that he's traveled here? It was great to see and, and great to see his attitude all since Charlie's been named the starter. He's been nothing but a team guy and, and, uh, great uh, work ethic and prepares as if he's the starter and that's how you, you're one play away and so that's how you have to do it and we got uh, no doubt that we have two really good quarterbacks and we're fortunate for that. Devin Boyd had 12 tackles, an interception, a fourth fumble, a sack. Yep. How did you think your, uh, your preseason all managed play there? Just like he's supposed to. That's that's who he is. He's a big time player. He's a big he's a playmaker, and uh, he is uh, the leader of that defense. And he was productive tonight, just like we need him to be every single week. How how cool was it to see the uh, moment of, of loudness uh, for, for Ty Jordan? That was awesome. Yeah. And then also to have that that portal named after him. Yeah. Yeah, it's just uh, you know I can't. Yeah, you know, if I think about it too much, then I I I, uh, I don't do well. And so, but it was it was great. I thought the in-game in uh, recognition of Ty and and uh, the things that we have in place are were, and his family was here as you saw, which was awesome for them to be able to be a part of that. What do you tell the players that uh, have an experience the BYU rivalry yet and what to expect this week? Well, most of them have. Well, I, I guess that's not a true statement now. There, there's probably half of them that have. And, uh, you know, we just got to prepare like we always do. And, and uh, you know, we uh, <laughs> change the subject a little bit. We have When we have a pregame meal, we go by class. And, and uh, when we said the freshmen, over two-thirds of the room stood up, you know, to go eat. And so we, we got a lot of guys that haven't, because we didn't play it last year. And so so we'll, uh, we'll educate them that, uh, you know, what the – 
what it's all about and our our upperclassmen will educate them what it's all about and and uh, we got to have a great week of practice because uh, right now based on tonight we're not good enough and so we got to get better he was there he played just was kind of quiet and uh, yeah he was out there and needs to uh, we need to get him involved because he's a heck of a good receiver Dalton Kincaid is, I think, the best-kept secret in the Pac-12. I was saying that in, in camp, and I've said it uh, in several interviews, and I think you saw what tonight what he can what he can do. Tremendous athlete, great size, speed for a tight end. I mean, he's the whole package. He's, uh, he's a weapon for us, and uh, he continues to play like he did tonight. He'll get more and more touches and more and more uh, reps. There's Utah coach Kyle Whittingham. When we come back, Alex Brink, radio analyst, for Washington State Cougar games. Utah State plays Washington State this weekend. Utah plays Washington State later this month in the conference opener. BYU plays Washington State next month. So we'll all learn about the Cougars together next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The New Look Aggies hit the road to take on Washington State to kick off the Blake Anderson era in Logan. Catch all the play-by-play action beginning with the pregame show at 8. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time now to talk Washington State football with Alex Brink. He's a Washington State football analyst on their broadcast. Alex joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. So, Alex, I'm curious, with Utah State coming up here in the opener, and then in late September, the Utes. And then in October, BYU. What is Washington State's shot at claiming the Utah State Championship? <laughs> I know, right? It feels like, uh, you know, we decided to hit everybody. We need to add Weber in there, right, to uh, <laughs> nice. get, get, the, get the foursome going. What I want to know is who's going to be the quarterback Phenomenal question. To some degree, I you know I, I would like to know too, right? I, I mean, it's been cut down from four to three to two finally for the Cougs with uh, Jaden Delora, the freshman starter from last year, um, and then the tr- grad transfer from Tennessee, Jared Garantano. Um, and you've got two guys that I think honestly bring a little bit different uh, things to the fold. I think physically, Garantano is a little bit bigger. He's obviously more mature. Played a lot of football in the SEC for for University of Tennessee. Uh, he's been under the bright lights in, you know, some big-time stadiums, big-time ball games. Had his struggles, but to be fair, I mean, it's not like Tennessee's been uh, burning down the doors when it comes to winning football games in general. And so I think he's been a, a little bit more of a, a product of that than uh, than anything else. So he's got a chance to kind of reinvent himself at Washington State. And then Delora had some flashes last year as a freshman um, this offseason got into some trouble and, and was suspended for most of the offseason, missed spring ball, finally got back for fall camp. Uh, so he's a little bit behind the curve, in my opinion, as far as the development he needs to continue to be consistent. But, boy, is he electric. So I, I think Coach Rolovich and the staff keeping this one pretty close to the vest, kind of similar to what's happening at Utah State, right? And so we'll find out, obviously, when that first snap happens Saturday. But I wouldn't be surprised to see both guys at some point in that game. 
Cam Cooper is a Lehigh High School product here uh, in Utah, so a lot of people have followed him. Where did he come up short in the battle? I'll tell you what, you know, Cam, I've known for a long time since he came out of high school and, and was part of the Elite 11 competition that I helped coach in. And, um, you know, he, he ended up third on the depth chart. I think, in all honesty, he was a guy that was fighting a little bit of an uphill battle, particularly when Garantano came in. Uh, Cam got some snaps last year, you know, looked good at times. In the offseason, was getting reps because Delora was out. And then uh, Garantano comes in and obviously has some more experience. Uh, has that veteran presence and then kind of starts taking reps away from him. I think, you know, I think for Cam, I mean, he's a supremely physically gifted player and as a guy that, you know, the reps and all the things that come in practice, you know, for any quarterback, it used to be that if you sat till your junior or senior year, that was the norm, right? And now the expectation is everybody wants to play as a freshman or sophomore when the reality is that, Everybody develops on a different curve, and I think Cam's coming along just fine. And, and knowing him, I mean, he's such a phenomenal kid. Um, he's going to be a productive member of that team all the way. So last year was a screw year for everybody, particularly Borgie, you know, an all-conference type back who only played in a couple games. But the positive with him being out is McIntosh flourished. So now you got two what I would consider really good running backs. How are they going to fit into what Rolovich is trying to do offensively? feels like you know you kind of one one a and one b when it comes to the running back options which is great right in the run and shoot um there is a pass heavy element to it but it's significantly more balanced than say the air raid with mike leach and so you know max where that was the hope heading into last year was that max borgie was going to be able to do some of the heavy lifting because they didn't have a ton of time to install the offense and those sort of things then obviously max got hurt uh so you're more limited offensively but it allowed a guy like mcintosh uh, to show what he could do, right? McIntosh went to Notre Dame out of high school, ended up transferring, coming to Washington State. So he's got great pedigree also. Those two guys uh, are both phenomenal downhill runners that attack the line of scrimmage. And with a great offensive line like Washington State has, I mean, I really think this offense is going to lean run heavy, particularly early in the year with these quarterbacks as they get their feet underneath them uh, and rely on Borgia and McIntosh to, to carry the load. So I'm curious, it's great to have good running backs, but Washington State didn't, uh, under the previous staff, uh, the Pirate wasn't looking to run the ball, and that's a really different skill set. Has this O-line been rebuilt now to the point that it can push people around and run the ball? Well, one thing that's interesting about what Mike Leach and his staff did was they recruited uh, very well on the offensive line when it comes to the bodies and the athleticism that they wanted. And so although they were primarily a pass-first team, so you're obviously working more on pass-set schemes, there was enough run blocking. You had a couple, you had two really good offensive line coaches during the time uh, Mike Leach was at Washington State that were able to keep those guys pretty balanced from a fundamental standpoint. You look across that line, you know, Abe Lucas at right tackle is the guy that gets the headlines. He, he'll be a first-day NFL draft pick for sure. But there's three or four other guys that have a chance to be all-conference and maybe a couple of them playing on Sundays also. Yeah, I would put Liam Ryan in that category too. Uh, And the offensive line has a lot of experience coming back, so I expect them to be pretty good. On the other side of the ball, I I sort of got good news and bad news. I mean, they allowed over 460 yards and almost 40 points a game uh, last year, but they're returning almost everybody as a starter which uh, just because they come back, it doesn't mean necessarily that they're good. Now, Jaw Woods 
you know, I think he's a super senior, three-time All-Pac-12 there at linebacker. So obviously he's good. But how about the rest of the guys? Boy, it's a great point. I think you look at a roster that's loaded with, you know, kind of the, the super seniors, as you say, and, and redshirt seniors and redshirt juniors, then you'd like to think that, hey, this is a team that is going to be defensively in the you know top third of the Pac-12. And obviously production-wise last year, they weren't that. And a couple of tough matchups when you talk about USC at USC, Utah at Utah, uh, you know, they had their struggles. They had, they've had injury issues both the last two years. They've gone into the season with really quality depth and ended up losing some key pieces and then having to kind of force guys into action. A, a good example of that is last year on the defensive line, you lose a couple guys in camp, and Brennan Jackson emerges as probably one of your top pass rush threats for the year. But that's partially because Ron Stone Jr. did not play nearly as much. Now both those guys are back, right? So you've got a ton of depth, a lot of experience. The talent is there. I think the front seven, you alluded to the linebacking core, Jihad Woods, is as productive a linebacker in the country as you will find. Justice Rogers has been a starter for four years, former high school quarterback. I mean, there are two vets at the linebacker position, that quality depth on the defensive line. Your question marks are going to, become, going to come at the safety position. Really new free safety, uh, Halid Jabril, who hasn't had a ton of time. Daniel Isom has kind of bounced back and forth between corner and strong safety, and he ultimately has settled into that strong safety role. So that's the question mark. Really the one to keep an eye on that I think – uh, people would be surprised to hear is the cornerback position is a position of strength for Washington State. Jalen Watson, number zero, is one of the most physically gifted corners in the country. He he will absolutely play on Sundays. He's got a phenomenal story where he was committed to USC. It didn't work out. He ends up working at a Wendy's while going to junior college and not even playing football. And then Washington State is able to get him into school, get him recruited, and now he's one of the best players in the Pac-12. So him, uh, you know, having him out there on one side just locks down half the field. So if you're worried about depth then, is Washington State excited to have USC in the conference opener, which is the third game of the year it looks like, and then the Utes in the fourth game of the year, right, the week right after? Right. You know, I think getting – I think there's two sides of it. You you play Utah State and then Portland State both at home. So you got to get off to a fast start for, for the Cougs if they want to ultimately look at competing in the Pac-12 North and then also going to a bowl game in Nick Rolovich's second year. Having USC that third game – you know, you get them in Pullman, which is great. Get them early. Hopefully the roster's healthy. You've had a couple games to kind of see where you're at and get some quality reps and maybe, uh, you know, kind of some of the feel good, hopefully. But I think that early season schedule could play into the hands of Washington State um, as they, you know, as they kind of go through this season. You know, the flip side is if a Utah State team, you know, that with a new coaching staff and kind of reinvigorated comes in and sneaks up on the Cougs, right, that starts a tough slide potentially as they go into the, that tough conference schedule so leach has a lot of connections here you know he went to byu and he still has family here his brother i think his parents might even live here uh but uh as the thing worn on you know the, the, the one criticism i had of him is it seemed like you know when they won he got a ton of credit and when they lost he turned on the players and really ripped them and towards the end there, I know he got in that spat with the Spokane newspaper guy and calls him out at the end. And, of course, everything goes viral these days. Uh, was his time, did it need to come to an end? And how much of a breath of fresh air has Rolovich been? Well, I think, you know, with Mike Leach, the there was an element where, you know, kind of, 
his persona and the way he approached, you know, his program, you know, can wear on you, right? There's a lot of, there was a lot of uh, duplicity in the kind of the things that happened every year, right? You just saw it over and over again, like you're saying. Now he's kind of the, the genius behind it is the simplicity of the offense and the consistency in the, his schedule and routine. He gets players to buy into that. Um, but it also can rub people the wrong way, right? I mean, he's admittedly not a player's coach. I mean, that's just not, that's not his role. The, the assistant coaches kind of handle that piece of it. And so I do think to some degree that kind of starts to wear on you a little bit. I think from a program standpoint, um, you know, or from a program standpoint, Washington State was in a really good spot. But the question was, what was the next step? And, you know, for Mike Lee personally, he wants to show that he can do this at the highest level, right? So the next logical step for him was to go to the SEC, and Washington State was able to kind of fill the void with a, a coach that had a similar quirkiness, but more of a player's coach in Nick Rolovich, which was definitely, I think, a breath of fresh air and had a chance to kind of reinvigorate the program. And so, you know, I think I think for Coach Leach, you know, his time there was exactly what Washington State needed. And this next step with Nick Rolovich, he's had his, you know, heading into 2020, there was a lot of great things coming of it has had his struggles at times, obviously, and, and it'll be interesting to see how he manages that heading through into this season because um, if he wins the ball games, he's right back where uh, everybody thought he would be heading into 2020. But if things get rocky, then you start having conversations. So coaches will always tell you, let's not create any distractions here, guys. We need all the energy going one way, you know, focus on the next game and that. But the whole thing about, you know, him getting vaccinated or not, and then the governor – issuing a mandate, it seemed like that was starting to turn into a distraction. Have they got that all tamped down? And are there any others if you're close to the program, or are they focused on the next game, got everything rolling in one direction? Boy, you know, it, it, it was one of those things that definitely um, created a, a distraction heading into the season. I, I think it was inevitable uh, if that was, you know, kind of coach's stance that that was going to come, that that train was going to come down the tracks at some point, and, 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 it, and it did right around Pac-12 Media Day. Obviously, that conversation, you don't hear much of that currently because in the moment it's not an issue. If it becomes an issue, right, if, if he can't coach because of, a, you know, a contact trace or a positive test, you know, if they lose, they've got, you know, if there's a couple other coaches unvaccinated on staff and multiple coaches can't coach in a game and they lose that game, right, that, that becomes a distraction very quickly. And so I do think um, right now, not really an issue. If it comes up in the season, it could be a really big issue. And, and I think that's something Washington State really can't afford. I mean, they need to be able to focus on football, on the game. They need to be worried about the preparation and know that they have, you know, their full coaching staff at full strength and ready to go. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. It was a distraction in, in, in the short term. Um, right now, not a ton of conversation about it, but it's certainly something you're keeping an eye on all year. What's your personal expectation for this team this season? I mean, I believe this is a bowl team, particularly if they can get off to a fast start, um, like I alluded to earlier. Washington State, under Mike Leach, showed that you can be a consistent winning program on the Palouse. You know, if you have a good system and you recruit right and you develop players. Uh, he left a great roster for Nick Rolovich of talented athletes, a, a team that can win games, you know, throughout in the Pac-12 and, and up and down. And so the expectation is that this is a bowl team. And, and it, in some cases, 
if things go right, particularly from the quarterback position, you know, this could be a team that could win, I think, eight games, eight, nine games potentially. Um, but some of those question marks have to get answered early in the season. Well, I think clearly when you start counting up wins, they need the win against Utah State, and they could probably lose to the Utes and still keep some of those goals, you, or maybe even all those goals you talk about uh, intact. But with BYU October 23rd, does that shape up as a critical game, one of those must-have games to get where you want them to get and where you think they're capable of getting? Yeah, I sure think so. I mean, it's, a, it's obviously kind of an interesting – the schedule piece is interesting, right? It's kind of middle of the season. It's not an opponent that historically Washington State has played. Um, you know, I think, it's, I think that piece of it creates some intrigue. I think the timing of it, you know, like you're saying, kind of late October, um, you've got some get some uh, conference games under your belt. You're going to have to kind of figure – you know, you're going to really know who you are at that point. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it is a pivotal game, and I think it's one of those ones that, you know, for a program like BYU, they're always looking when they're on the national stage against, you know, other Power 5 programs uh, to make a statement. So I think Washington State's got to have that one circled for sure. So you say you think both quarterbacks are going to play. We'll see if that happens. With that in mind, how long do you think it'll take before a, a starter is established? I don't think it goes any longer than the week two Portland State game. I mean, I think going into USC, you have to have your guy. I do think that, in my experience, having been in quarterback competitions, um, knowing coaching staff, like being in the rooms and being around them over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, is that, you know, they have an idea of, of where they want to go with this thing. And if it can get confirmed in, in week one, then they'll put it to bed heading into week two so, so they can move on. I know, you know, as a, as a player, as a, as a non-quarterback, as a player on that roster, you want to know who the leader of that team is. And so you don't want to be going back and forth. And historically, you know, Rolovich isn't going to be a guy that's going to bounce back and forth between quarterbacks. He, he'll give two guys a shot, but then he's going to try and settle on a guy eventually. Um, so I would bet, you know, again, no later than week two, they get this thing figured out heading into that USC week. Well, Alex, we appreciate a few minutes, and uh, given the way the schedule works, uh, I hope you don't mind us bothering you again multiple times later this season. Sure, would love to. Happy to do it. Thanks, guys. Alex Brink, he is the Washington State football analyst on their broadcast, and Washington State opens with Utah State, 17.5-point favorite. They've got the Utes for Game 4, and then October 23rd, they got BYU, so we will be seeing a lot of the Washington State Cougars. And you listen to him talk, PK, does eight wins sound a little high end for them? On the surface, yes. But it's the Pac-12, so you never know because the middle of the league is so squishy, stuff could break your way. So it's not outrageous, even if it's a reach. Well, yeah, and they get uh, two very much winnable ball games. I expect that they'll have a good shot to go 2-0. and But then they get the top two teams in the South right off the bat, SC and Utah, uh, they play four ranked teams as of now anyway. Uh, we'll see what happens at the time. And they get two of them right off the bat. So they could very well be 0-2 in the conference season, which, you know, that's tough to come back from. So we'll see. The, you know, try, the end of their schedule is Oregon and Washington, two more ranked teams. But it's also Arizona, which I think we all figure should be a W. So that means that five-game stretch in the middle, which includes BYU, is everything. Yeah, I think I said they get four. I forgot about ASU sneaking in there at 25. So they actually get – they have five ranked teams, which is five out of the conference right now. The point I was making is they 
they don't get Arizona to start or something or Oregon State to start. You know what I mean? They get two of the yeah. tougher teams right off the bat, and that could demoralize you a little bit. I think it's for them to get eight, I think they absolutely have to come out of September at two and two. If they don't, there's no way they're getting eight. I would be stunned. Right. right. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, it's always not just who you play, who do you miss, and they're missing UCLA, and they're missing Colorado. That doesn't really break their way. but uh, Yeah, probably, but they get Arizona. They do get Arizona. So you'd rather have Arizona uh, than uh, either of those two teams, I think. Uh, and, you know, Oregon State is kind of a, still in a rebuild mold. Uh, Cal... Not sure what to make Cal. I think Cal could be good. I think I, I put Cal and the Bruins sort of in the same category. They've they haven't won big, but they got experienced quarterbacks. Coaches have been there for a little bit, and we know with Wilcox, he always has a good defense. Can the offense catch up? I've always said Cal should have had co coaches, kept Sonny Dykes, and have him coach the offense, and Wilcox coach the defense because that's their specialties. And ironically enough, they've been very good at both of the those coaches. Their offenses have been good, and then with Wilcox, the defense has been good. So that could possibly be a toss up game, and and really, you know, anything in this conference in any given particular game might be a by a toss up. But to see them getting eight. Probably on the high side. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up next, what is trending? The headlines are on the way. Your day has just begun. Yeah! But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah! Hashtag Utah. High arcing kick is going to be fielded by Rashid at the 1. Up the right side of the 10. Angles to the middle 15. Gets a block at the 25. Breaks free. He's got gone. one man to beat. Shahid down the far side to the 30. 20. 15. 10. 5. Touchdown. No penalty markers. 99-yard return for a touchdown. Rashid Shahid, the sixth of his career. Pressure again. Flushed out by Tafua. Toward the sideline. Throws it back. And it's juggled and tipped and intercepted. Off the hands of Randall Grimes. And Utah comes away with it. And it's Devin Lloyd to pick. Empty backfield for Brewer. Hangs in there. On the move for the end zone. And it's caught. Touchdown. Solomon Enos. Second and two after an eight-yard pickup. Another carry for Tavion Thomas inside the 10. Tripped up. Keeps going. There are the highlights as the Utes beat Weber State 40-17 over Weber State. Charlie Brewer, 19 of 27, 233 yards, a couple scores. The only interception was on a Hail Mary. And Tavian Thomas, man, 100-yard back on just 12 carries, PK. That was impressive. And Micah Bernard was good, but Tavian Thomas really stood out. Makai Bernard, I said Micah. Makai Bernard was good, but Tavian Thomas really stood out. Oh, there's no question he stood out. He's your number one back. Bernard's two, Pleasure's three, and Curry's four. That's your lineup right there. Don't at me because I don't want to hear it this morning. Absolutely not. No, no, no. (laughs) No, 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 no. 
Utah passing because Cameron Risen came in and threw a couple of uh, passes as well. 21 of 29 for 262 yards and three scores. Can they keep that up? That's over 70% completion rate. Anything over 250 yards, I think you got to take if you're a Ute fan. Question is, will they sustain it? You got well, a gut it, feeling? It looked like typical Utah offense, man. Run the ball very well. They threw the ball effectively, and you had receiver drops. I mean, we've been having that for years. <laughs> hey, just two touchdown passes. Yeah. Takes no imagination to turn that 40 into 49. Catch the touchdown passes and make the extra point. You want to dream beyond that, go ahead. But nine points left out there for sure. All right, your reaction to the Utes coming up. Stay with us. DJ and PK, the Utes are getting ready for the Cougars. The Cougars still have a game to play. Hashtag BYU. You have to just go back and look at all the different places that they've been. Watch a lot of NFL film and watch a lot of different programs. So I think there's some similarities, but there's definitely some things that are, that are different. And then you look at the personnel that they have. They're, they have a good number of uh, new players coming in to complement the talent they have already on the team. So a lot of different things. And then COVID year, you never know how well a team was prepared because the depth was always something with testing and all that. You just never knew if they're ever, no one was at full strength, but you, you know that teams are going to be a lot better than what we saw on film last year. That's Kalani Sataki talking about how BYU is preparing for the new coaches and the new players. Whatever Arizona is, it's got to be better than last year just because, well, the hell of a pulse. Why has it got to be better? Because they will have a pulse. Last year's team was just dragging to the finish line. Lifeless. Getting pounded by your devil 70-7. Thank you, sir. May I have another? I don't think they thanked him. I think they, uh, they, we didn't, there was none of, we appreciate the efforts of Coach Kevin Sumlin, wish him well in future endeavors. Uh, I don't know if they say that. There were no efforts. Yeah, they're not going to be worse than they were last year. I think that's something, but that BYU still expected to win. To me, it's not about Arizona. I couldn't care less about Arizona. It is about uh, BYU seeing what they can do. Uh, and the fact that they're playing a lousy team is the reason why. I mean, if they were playing like next week here, in eight days, the Utes, it would be about the Utes and how good can they be against this team, but against Arizona, I don't want to hear, well, they, they have a pulse, they're better, they're this or that. I think that all that stuff is, it's all about the uh, the Cougars, man. They've got to come out and be crisp and be effective and be ready to go. 8.30 on ESPN, the Cougar pregame show starts at 7 o'clock tomorrow at JCW's in Provo. BYU, along with UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston, are the top four candidates for Big 12 expansion. Multiple reports, The Athletic, ESPN, on down the line, emerging over the last 24 hours. Those are the top four. Are you surprised even a little bit? I mean, those are the obvious four, aren't they? Uh, BYU's number one. You got that? BYU's number one. Yeah, I mean, we can keep The Athletic, and these people can keep reporting, blah, blah, blah. And that's great. It kind of reminds me of Charlie Brewer. Whoever has the latest is viewed as the most breaking, and that's great too. But BYU, they, they can be in there as soon as next season if they want. I, I firmly believe that. It's it's up to them to decide what they want to do. And they can even be uh, football only until uh, Oklahoma and Texas leave uh, if that's what they wanted to do. And I think that uh, the Big 12, this, I don't know that it's been reported, but I think the Big 12 
is making a strong push to see if the Arizona schools are interested. So, yeah, things are happening for sure. Do you think the Arizona schools are going to be interested? I would think not, but maybe they'll surprise me. DJ and PK. Hashtag Utah State. Well, I'm, I'm not willing to tell you who's going to be the starter. I'm, I'm going to let everybody figure that out at the same time. It's one of the good things about college ball. I really don't have to tell anybody, and I'm going to, I'm going to keep that process going. It is still an ongoing competition. There's Blake Anderson on his quarterback decision. He joins us every Monday here on the Zone Sports Network, usually about uh, 930. Utah State starts their season in Pullman, Washington tomorrow night. Showdown with Washington State. Kickoff set for 9 o'clock on the Pac-12 Network. Our play-by-play coverage here on The Zone will begin at 8 with Scott Gerrard on the call from the Palouse. And I think the thing with the Aggies here is there are just so many questions. New coaching staff, ton of transfers, got to settle on a quarterback. So a lot of questions to be answered on the fly. And it all starts tomorrow night at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Daniels under center, fourth and one. He'll hand the ball to Rashad White. Rashad has a first down. He's got a touchdown to the 10, to the 5. Touchdown, Devils. Oh, baby, Rashad White busts it up the middle for a 26-yard TD. It's from Arizona State's win over Southern Utah, 41-14, the final score. Your devil's getting it done, PK. Encouraged or just ho-hum? They got through it. Jaden Daniels was 10-12 for 132 yards. What do you expect on to the next one? What do you think? Oh, that was a miserable performance. They had 11 penalties in the first half. That's completely and totally unacceptable. I mean, it reminded me of the Dennis Erickson era in which a team led by Vontez Perfect was completely and totally undisciplined and there was no accountability and what do they say inmates running the asylum whatever that expression is that's exactly what it was what it was it was a throwback it couldn't have been more disappointing from that perspective UCF beats Boise State 36-31 the Broncos were up 21 nothing they had a big 100 yard pick six that got them off on the right foot but UCF got back in the game by halftime they end up winning it Hank Bachmeyer, Boise State driving for the potential go-ahead score late in the fourth quarter, and he throws a pick. They were across midfield down around the 35, and he got picked off down at the seven-yard line, and that was the end of that game. Broncos yeah. had him, PK. They had a great start, but, man, UCF got back in that game pretty quickly. Yeah, that was an exciting game, and uh, for sure, yeah, that Bachmeyer throw, I mean, you're, you're too far along in your college football career to be making, making that throw. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just awful. There's no excuse for it. Uh, throw it out of bounds, go down, do something, but don't don't, don't chuck, a, chuck it around like that. And Ohio State beats Minnesota 45-31. Minnesota was there, uh, had the lead midway through the game, but third quarter, Ohio State gets a go-ahead score, and then they pull away and win 45-31. The thing for Ohio State my gosh, the explosive plays, big plays. They scored three touchdowns on like six plays in two minutes, and Minnesota's going on these long drives. The time of possession couldn't be couldn't be more lopsided. 
Ohio State's touchdowns, a 71-yard run, a 38-yard pass, a 56-yard pass. Uh, then they had a defensive score. And then the offense in the fourth quarter, 70 and 61-yard touchdown passes. So you got Ohio State bottled up until they make a massive play and blow you off the field and get the touchdown. So. Yeah, I think the, the change of the game was when they scored and then they got the defensive score. score. That was cares about time of possession? That's a, yeah, that's right. a relevant stat. That didn't mean anything. Minnesota kept grinding, and then Ohio State, bam, touchdown. That scoop and score put them up by 10, and then uh, Minnesota never, never really could get it back after that. That was pretty much it. Uh, the upsets for the big sky, UC Davis, 1917 at Tulsa. And Eastern Washington beats UNLV in double overtime. Well, the Rebels are going to be playing in a nicer stadium, PK, but, man, that's not going to help them grow a program right out of the gate. Splat. you got to feel better. We were talking about your Utah State predictions yesterday. Utah State, UNLV. <laughs> All right, you're going to get that one right. Well, it's one game. Washington State under Leach had a habit of doing this, but obviously UNLV hasn't been good for a number of years. Right. So there's the two uh, the two money games that uh, that went awry and and for Weber State fans, well, UC Davis has been good for a while, so this kind of announces that. And Eastern Washington has had really good teams too. So yeah, th- those are two of the better teams. It's certainly top third of the Big Sky right there, and those two teams get. I it feel done. bad for UNLV because they barely drew a Pulse without the Raiders, and now with the Raiders, <laughs> and wow, man. I know. They- it's, be... it's actually going to reduce mm-hmm. the care factor, and the care factor was so small as it was. Yeah. They needed uh, two fourth-quarter touchdowns to tie that game up and get it to OT. And you're right. It's going to be friends and family in a 60,000-seat stadium. So there you go. All right, big games tomorrow. Uh, obviously, we've got BYU and Utah State games to watch at 8, 30, and 9, but there's there's football all day long, Alabama and Miami. That's number one versus number 14 at uh, 1.30. And that is on ABC. And then you've also got LSU and Georgia in primetime. Excuse me, LSU and UCLA in primetime on Fox. Georgia and Clemson in primetime on ABC. And there's more games beyond that. Penn State and Wisconsin. That's a big conference game at 10 a.m. on Fox. For sure, yeah. So... Plenty of showdowns. First peak at Oregon, the 11th-ranked Ducks are playing Fresno State at noon on the Pac-12 network. So, you can check all of those out. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. I think Zach Wilson is going to be in discussion as one of the top three to five quarterbacks very quickly. You know, within the next couple of years, I think you're going to see him rise. I think he's... Unbelievable. His ceiling is so high. It's rare for me to say someone has the ability to get in the stratosphere of a Mahomes, but I think this kid actually has that ability. Tony Romo praising Zach Wilson. That is a take we have heard before and a take we are going to hear again from Tony Tony Romo. He may be right and he may be wrong, but you know he's serious about it because he's repeating it. Well, I think that it's come to the conclusion that Tony, when he was in town for the Utah Open, clearly was listening to me on the Zone Sports (laughs) Network. Stealing your hot takes. <laughs> and so it's obvious he's going to jump on the bandwagon, which I've been driving. I mean, I didn't jump on it. I'm actually driving this thing. I've been driving it. The first media member to recognize his talent. And it's not like I'm bragging or anything that I saw something special that other guys didn't see. And I saw it first, and nobody wanted to back me up. I'm not bragging about that at all. 
Darn. Cool. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Could you imagine now if somebody just took me seriously? Yeah, that'd be awesome. And people do. <laughs> I mean, right now, you've really given it away. You pulled the curtain all the way back. But usually, you only pull the curtain back 20% of the way, and people are already mad, and they don't hear you. And then, yeah, fine. I do think he's going to be really good, though, and it's a great Tony Romo. Wow, I mean, he's just throwing all sorts of plaudits at the kid before he's even taking a snap. And Tony, you know, that he's made his mark in broadcasting of telling you what the play's going to be as they're breaking the huddle, he right? Has. That was his big thing. Yep. So he's doing it now in a different way rather than telling you. Anybody could tell you what you just saw, but he's trying to add a little bit more. And to have Tony Romo say this and say this, you know, when he, when he said it locally, oh, okay, he knew his audience a little bit. I don't know what the audience was here this time around in this soundbite we just played, but that wasn't local. Right. And it was virtually, I mean, it wasn't word for word, but it was really close. Yeah. But the thing is, when he said it here, yes, he knew his audience here, but he, and he was never going to rip him in his own backyard, but he could have soft-pedaled it a little bit, and he didn't bother. You know, he could have said, I really like him, he's talented, quarterback's a tricky position, so we got to give him a little time, but uh, I see why the Jets drafted, and I I think he could really be something. That would have been like three notches below where he went. Agreed. He really dialed it up. All right, uh, Keith McCants, former NFL player, former University of Alabama All-American, 53 years old. He was found dead, a suspected drug overdose, 53, awfully young. Fourth overall pick in the 1990 NFL draft. Oh, yeah, I remember him. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Brooklyn Nets add Paul Millsap, the former jazz man. A little depth. He's got a little... Something in the tank. And LaMarcus Aldridge, who uh, had health issues and was going to retire, has decided to resume his career. He's expected to go back to Brooklyn as well. So veterans on the bench, PK. They're going to have vets. Brooklyn and L.A., the Lakers and Nets are both going to be old teams, but plenty of veterans, plenty of playoff experience. Yeah, I think that's uh, those are good moves. They're worth it. If, you, if they don't amount to anything, they're worth a shot for the Nets. Uh, I, it's going to be tough, but I still think the Jazz will beat them. Can you imagine if people took you serious? Or are you serious? You don't think the Jazz can beat the Nets? Well, you've been saying when you're serious, the Jazz are in the mix. So this is like Tony Romo. This is two different gears. I don't even know that the Jazz are going to play the Nets. So it doesn't I haven't really matter. It doesn't matter whether oh, none of us. Who knows that they're going to actually play? Who knows that? You would be along the lines with every other single human being on the planet. The point I'm making is if it should come to that, I think the Jazz can beat them. Can beat them, I would go with you. I think the Nets would be favored. But it's not a lock. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. The 2-2 pitch to Keanu. And Morick hits a high fly. Right field. Reyes back. He's to the track. He'll watch it fly. And for the A's, it's back-to-back in a 4-0 lead in the first. The pitch. Change up. There's a high drive into deep left field. This one has a chance. Adios! Pelota! And that's the backbreaker. It's a big inning. 5-1 Giants. That's a three-run homer right there that does it, a four-run eighth inning. It was 1-1, Giants and Brewers in the eighth, but the Giants break it open and get the win and now head into their series with the Dodgers three games this weekend, the last time they will meet this year. 
Yeah, you know, since the divisional era, which I think started in, what, 69, this is only the second time that two teams with a winning percentage of 630 or better, at least 130 games in the season, have played each other. The last time was a couple years ago. Yankees and Dodgers did it. But, of course, they're not even in the same league, let alone the same division. And the Dodgers and Giants here with the identical records, 630 or better. Wow, these are two powerhouse teams. The, Do- the Giants began the season with a 5.7 chance to make the postseason. And now they're, they're in a tie. 85 100%. wins. 100%. Yeah. 85 wins, 49 losses, 36 games over 500. They're going to be in the playoffs. These two have just blown the Padres away. They're only eight games over 500. They're 14 back. So it's these ancient rivals squaring off for the last time this season. Yeah, you know what they should have done if baseball was smart? What's they would that? have recreated, like, Ebbets Field and moved one of the games back to Brooklyn. Oh, that would be awesome. Freakishly <laughs> expensive. I mean, it's one thing to plow under a cornfield. It's another thing to clear out a few acres in Brooklyn. <laughs> All right. Uh, now, if they build a replica of Ebbets Field in a cornfield, would you do it? Would you go for it then? Uh, you just can't do the stands, the 30, 35,000 or whatever it is. It wouldn't have the same allure as yeah. if they did it in New York somewhere. I mean, come on, come on. They, they put it in Central Park, right? I mean, they got acres over there. <laughs> All right, you heard the home run there. Oakland was up 4 nothing. They went on to beat the Tigers 8-6. to So Oakland picking up the win there, four and a half games behind the Astros in the American League West, and they're also scrambling after the Yankees and the Red Sox in the wild card race. They are two back of the Red Sox right now. So Oakland with Moneyball trying to get it done against the big boys with the big payrolls. Your Philadelphia Phillies, only two games out of the wild card race. They beat the Nationals 7-6 and sweep the series. So they're a game and a half behind the Padres, two games behind the Reds, and the Reds have the second and final wild card. Obviously, the Giants and Dodgers will get the first one. I'm pulling hard for them. That game was on MLB Network yesterday afternoon, so I was watching it, and they obviously they got down 6-zip. Nola, their, one of their better pitchers, was giving up home runs left and right. But they came back, man. Maybe there's a little magic there. Joe Girardi, maybe he could produce a little magic with that ball club. The I mean, they took a blow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They took a big blow. Hoskins is gone for the season. He was their big power hitter. So I don't think they can, they can do it. Bees lose to the Rivercats 8-3. Teams play again tonight at 8 o'clock here on the Zone Sports Network. Pre-game coverage begins at 7.50. Hashtag RSL. I think it, it got us all by surprise. We were kind of shocked uh, with the news. I think everyone was and. You know, at the same time, um, you know, you preach a lot of stuff all year, and then all of a sudden, you know, you can say you bounce. For us, it's like, okay, maybe, you know, he didn't believe in us. Maybe he didn't believe in himself, whatever it was. But the most important thing now is we have Pablo now, and he has the keys to to the job, and, um, you know, we have to uh, find ways to get a result. That's Rubio Rubin right there. You preach a lot of things all year long, and then you bounce stick together we're all in this we got to fight for each other i'm leaving this head coaching job for an assistant coaching job rubio rubin dialing it down a little bit for public consumption i imagine there's a little more frustration than he let on there a week later but 
Well, That's the first I mean, time he's is... been available to the media. This is an incredible move. I mean, I can't compare it to literally anything that's done. And I don't have the deep soccer background as you guys do and all that stuff. So I don't know if it's somewhat common in soccer Mm-mm. or if it's been done Mm-mm. in Europe or whatever. No, this nope. does not happen. Nope, this doesn't yeah. happen. This is unusual. This is, uh, this, is, this is a unicorn of a coaching move right here. But I don't know that uh, on the surface it's a lack of faith in the in the players. Is it a situation with the management? Where's my contract going? And who knows what the future's holding? Uh, and I've got a relationship with the people in Seattle so I can get something stable. I mean, you can't uh, criticize a man for wanting employment. It's unusual the way it played out. But I don't know that it's a reflection on lack of faith on the team. But if they want to use that as a rallying point, obviously they did not the other night. But they still have time. They do have time. They've got uh, six home games left, and one of them is against Dallas, Rio Tinto Stadium, six o'clock Saturday night. RSL with that loss in Vancouver, and it was four to one. It was an ugly loss. They have dropped under five hundred now. Seven wins, eight losses, and they've tied six as well. So they're sitting in the last playoff spot right now, and it's six teams for two spots. Six teams separated by three points. So literally. One win, you can jump from 11th place to 6th place, depending on the results. So, it's a big game, and uh, RSL will have Demir Krylock back. Their all-star did not play in Vancouver. He had been suspended for a yellow card accumulation, so he'll be back. But Putnam has been struggling in goal. Ochoa has been training, but Pablo Mastroni, the interim coach, uh, really hedged when he was asked if, he, if Ochoa was going to be healthy enough to go. So... They may have to go with their third-string guy. We'll have to see how Ochoa feels, I guess, it, when he warms up, if he warms up, if they even let him get to that point, depending on how training goes today. So he's had a quad injury, and he's been out. All right, that's what's trending. It's brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, more football, a lot more football. Josh Newman, youth writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. 8 o'clock, Alex Brink, Washington State football analyst. 9 o'clock, more football on the way. Your reaction to the youth opener coming up. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Joining us now, former Coug, our good friend Jordan Pendleton. BYU turning over the roster a little bit. Lay out some realistic expectations for this year's squad. I think as far as athleticism goes and potential, I think the athletes are there, but it's kind of unknown right now. Do I think BYU is going to only lose one game this year? Probably not. I think their schedule is going to be pretty tough, but I am excited to see how they respond off of last year with a better schedule ahead and see what they can do this year. So it's going to be fun to see, but it's definitely a toss-up right now. I think every Everybody's just excited to see them go get this first game under their belt and see what type of team that they're going to be. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. TJ and PK in the morning. Proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. All right, question of the morning. Impressions. Of the youth season opening win over Weber State. And Chappie says, Weber State looked good. (laughs) Deplorable youth says, they played pretty penalty free for the most part. Brewer should have had four touchdown passes, but two were dropped. 
The defense was pretty solid, and special teams pretty much hated the rain delay more than the fans. <laughs> Give up a touchdown on a kickoff return, and it goes straight into a rain delay. Get to hear yeah. about it the whole time. That kickoff return was one of the more exciting kickoff returns I've ever seen because it was right up the gut, you know? And just, wow, man, he just blazing speed. It was fun to watch. I'm sure you fans weren't appreciative of that, but uh, they were always going to win the game, obviously. So I enjoyed it very much. I mean, it was about as exciting a kickoff play as you're going to see. Just to see. And then you have, you know, the little guy versus the big guy, and they score and take the lead. Uh, they did that. They were up 10 the last time they played them, if I remember correctly. I saw Jerry Bovey in the men's room, and he just looked at me at the time. Like, wow, can you believe this? <laughs> and uh, Actually, I couldn't, but uh, it was it was a great play. And I think that the, the good thing about the Utes, they were always going to win the game. There was never any doubt about that, that it gave Kyle enough ammunition to sharpen focus uh, in practice when they resume, get back out of the field, uh, because they made enough mistakes. The drop passes... It just continues to be – it plagues Utah. I don't know what it is. It's probably – you know, every program obviously has dropped passes, but it seems like off the top of my head, just looking at it, that Utah has more than than most teams. They've got to correct that. Uh, and what, a delay on a PAT, not enough guys out on the field. So they made enough mistakes where the coaches can easily get their attention – but you got to like what you see. you got to like the basic package of the team. Looks pretty good to me. And they've got a shot, you know. It's a long way to go, obviously. But at this point, you, sh- you could be optimistic about their chances. Whether they get it done or not, I can't say. But it looks like they've got the talent to get it done. And there's going to be some huge games down the line. And it should be a fun season for you fans and their football program. Dalton Kincaid, we've heard a lot about him from Kyle, and Stood uh, out. and he delivered in game one. Absolutely, no question about it. And Frothingham dropped the pass, uh, so and that's going to stick in Kyle's craw, as they say. But uh, Kincaid bet on himself coming up from uh, whatever level they play, division, what is it, San Diego? It's the same level as Weber State, but it's a okay. non-scholarship league, the Pioneer yeah. Football League. Yeah, yeah. So. and uh, so he bet on himself. It's a good story. You like to see guys like that. He didn't. I don't think he played football until late in his high school career. If, uh, if I remember the story, I'm pretty sure I do. And so, yeah, they've got a lot of talent right there. Those two guys, and obviously Keithy. Keithy had uh, sort of a drop. It was a little behind him, but uh, knowing what we know of him, his great interview. We've interviewed him several times over the years. Uh, he absolutely believe he should have caught that. There's no question about that. And most of the time, he will catch that. It wasn't right on the numbers. He's going to his uh, across the field, and it was back behind uh, his right shoulder instead of ahead to his left shoulder area. Uh, but he's a really good player. Andy Ludwig is an excellent play caller. So things are in place. And the first game, yeah, I'm, I'm, I have mixed feelings about these opponents that they play. And they're, they're not, it's not exclusive to Utah by any stretch. When I say they, I mean in general rather than you're talking. You're talking about the money games, yeah. plus especially when it's a money game against a team that has 22 fewer scholarships. I mean, I, li- I, I, I don't like it, but I understand it. But you'd like it if it were upgraded so they had a money game against the bottom of the Mountain West. Problem is the bottom of the Mountain West doesn't want money games. They want home and homes. 
there aren't enough of those out there, so people go off to the big sky to get their money game. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, that those are the realities of the situation. So I can endure it. Get it If you're going to have it, absolutely get it out of the way as soon as possible. You don't want to go SEC style, play at game 8 or 11? Oh, that would be such a <laughs> yeah, you just, I know, waste year, of time. That's what it is. Herb waste. Street knocks on that, and I can support him 100%. You know, it's just not, not anything you want. I, I, I understand why BYU does it because they're in the unique situation of the scheduling of trying to get these guys earlier. And they can get that game any time of year. So why not get it in November and give your fans a day game when potentially it's a bad weather situation? So that can, that makes sense. I just I, I wish that they could be some type of rule that says don't do it, and so have have some better competition. But I understand everybody does it, so. You know, you can't knock, uh, or most everybody does it anyway, you can't knock an individual school for doing it when so many of them do it. Thomas, 12 carries for 107 yards. He was the kind of back Kyle wants, running through tackles, showing a little burst. Didn't have any uh, long, outrageous runs, but you had a 20-yarder. Yeah, the, he's he's on notice though because he's had one fumble. Fumble, right? And that's going to just jump out at you because he screams turnover margin. I mean, everybody wants it in their favor, but Kyle really, points really. to it, yeah. and stresses it big, big time. He says it's the most important stat behind the final score, and that's uh, what he looks at. He goes right to that the turnover. See where you're at there. So they've got to. Make sure the running backs. That's going to knock you down a peg, uh, and so he's got maybe maybe you get two mulligans on that. But if you get them back to back, then you're going to suffer. And what I mean by that, if he has a fumble against BYU and they lose, even if they regain it, it's still going to catch his Kyle's eye for sure. But it's like if you have two or three, but you space them out every five games, maybe maybe you can buy some. Uh, less grief <laughs> but if you have it against BYU that's going to be a huge red flag for uh, Whittingham and what he preaches uh, so for Thomas he needs to hold on to the ball give him one you know just obviously it wasn't going to hurt them but yeah I mean once once they started mentioning his name three four five times in training camp I'm not the brightest guy in the world <laughs> but, but it's like all right we got something here you know, and then you start doing research on him. You see where he's come from. You start talking to people uh, around the program, and you're saying, and you find out, yeah, he's been looking good. So, not a surprise to me that he looked good because they were the ones who first brought him up. I didn't know anything about him, but they start bringing him up, and you listen to him. And then when the running backs coach comes and Andy Ludwig comes uh, and speaks to the media, all right. Something's there, and then it's easy to find out that they like him. You just one or two questions from people around the program, and they'll tell you, yeah, he looks good. And I thought he looked very good. But to me, he right now, he should be the starter. If you're going to base it on what they're doing, and it's not just exclusively in the games, but that goes a, large, a long way toward it, he should be your starter next week, and Bernard should be getting the second carries. And the other two, see what they can do when they get the opportunity. Thomas averaged nine yards a carry. That's an eye-popping number, 12 carries for 107 yards. But that turnover issue, it's you can go. If your other back, if your next back is averaging six yards a carry, you can live with that. And Bernard was a good receiver out of the backfield early in the game. 
I mean, he had three catches in the first two possessions. He was effective. So if Thomas is going to fumble, Kyle's going to switch because his the per, the production with Bernard isn't as good, but it's good. So it makes it an easy switch because he's just not going to tolerate the fumbles. Oh, he looks promising. There's no doubt about it. Uh, he he and it, it's funny because the way it played out with him being younger. Uh, he was willing to stay. All the three other guys who left, they were older. Now, I'm not sure he's better than any of the three. It's just he had a little more time on his side to where he could develop. And the other guys felt like they were running out of time. They'd been in the program for multiple years and still hadn't seized the position and weren't getting, to, according to them, enough playing time. And then they saw uh, uh, Ty do what he did, so they took off. And Bernard had more time on his side, so he stayed. And maybe he would have been better than them uh, if all things were equal anyway. If they were in the same grade, maybe he was better than the other three to begin with. But he certainly looks promising and looks like there's something there. Uh, you can be excited about him. I don't know that he'll be a big-time back or reigns to be seen, but he's going to see the field. He's going to have his opportunities. And as a football player, really, that's what you want. And it's up to you to do what, what you can with those opportunities. But right now, I would go Thomas. To me, there was that was the separation that I was looking for, and I saw it. Question of the morning, what were your impressions of the Utes? Uh, Scott says some things to clean up, but very promising. Love the running back depth, and Brewer looks legit. Go Utes. Brett says lots of talent. Brewer can wing it, but he needs to stay upright more often. He took some hits. And uh, Nick Ford had a tweet after the game. And, of course, he'll join us uh, Monday mornings, uh, 7.30 right here on the Zone Sports Network. But um, he tweeted out, improvement will be made, period. Good night, Utes, period. Yeah. And Nick Ford will be on this Monday, even though it's late. Nick Ford will be on Monday, uh, even though it's Labor Day weekend. We are gonna we're gonna be here, right, Yock? Holiday talking football. So wake up with us Monday morning, even though it's Labor Day. Labor and, Day is still a work day. Yeah, baby. Samson Nakua will be here at seven o'clock talking BYU football after the Arizona game, and then Nick Ford at seven thirty. So we'll be here for you Monday morning. But I think the offensive line definitely has work to do. Uh, there were some some missed blocks in the run game in the red zone early in the game. I think Nick actually had one of them. We can ask him about that. But his body language afterwards said, yeah, that's not going to look good. That's not going to look good on film. That was his body language going back to the huddle. So uh, and, and then just the hits Brewer took. And to be fair, Brewer, a couple of them he couldn't avoid. A couple of them I thought he encouraged. He took off for the run early in the game and like, Dude, you're not a fullback. What are you doing? But he also held the ball in the pocket so his guy could get downfield, and he knew he was going to take a shot, and he did. Uh, those in the pocket, you wish he wouldn't take them, but you get why he does. So you, 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 kinda, you just got to live with those. But the, the running and taking the big hit so you can get six yards instead of four, those drive me nuts. There's no reason to be doing that. If you're going to hold the ball in the pocket so you can hit on a 40-yarder, that's one thing. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. More reaction to the Utes opener next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. 
the Cougars hit the road for their season opener in Las Vegas to square off against Arizona. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7.30, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, we just played that Kyle Whittingham uh, bite. And PK, you and I have interviewed him for a long time. We've had conversations with him off to the side. And I actually tweeted out when things were going sideways in the first half. Man, Kyle may not even need a question. He's going to have this list really early in the postgame. That was so predictable. I don't want to say he's happy with the mistakes, but he doesn't want the first game to be too good. He wants to have an edge going into the second game. I think he got what he wanted. You knew he was. You knew he was making that list, watching that game go along. Oh, and he was checking it twice. Yeah, I think that he probably would want a little cleaner game, as they say, though, because I think when you're playing BYU in the second game, you don't really need anything more than the fact that you're playing BYU. And who wants to be the first team to lose to them in ten years or ten times? I guess it's more than ten years because of the layoff uh, for a couple years there with the pandemic. Twelve years year they didn't play. Uh, so. Uh, I, I don't think that they need any more of that. They gave it to him uh, because he'll go over all that stuff. He probably did, yeah, because he he's really good about having a pulse of the game, and then when he comes into the media room, he gives a statement, and he usually runs through the laundry list of good and bad. So m- most of the time you really don't even need any questions because he's covered it in his opening statement. He's really good about that, just going through and pretty much answering or speaking to most of the questions that are going to come out anyway. And so he's well aware of the good and the bad, and he's at the stage of his life and career as a coach where he's not going to duck them because he knows everybody knows them anyway. But I don't know that he wants it to be as, what, dirty, if that's the opposite of clean, Sloppy, I probably is the better word. He would have liked to have 11 guys on the field. Yeah. There there was too much of 10 and 12. (laughs) I mean, it's like, guys, you know this is an 11-on-11 game, right? We can count here. Yeah. And and they had 12 and gave up a first down, and Weber State declined the penalty. So the Utes were flagged three times for 30 yards, uh, but he'll be mad about more beyond the three. Yeah, for sure on that. and he, he understands it, and he does have stuff to address, but and I, and that but that's that's not like providing intensity and focus towards next week is what I'm trying to say because I think that's already going to be there, given the fact that it's the BYU game, and I would love for that game to be played every year if they could, but they don't want to, so be it. Uh, have it be the first game, but if it can't be the set first game. And it's obviously not always going to be, and rarely it's going to be the last game. I like it at that second spot uh, I, from, from the Utah perspective because if you're going to play the big sky caliber team in the first game, then give me a really good second game, right, so I can hyphen everything. Because I've got to be tested to some degree going into the conference to see where we get a better read on where we stand and what we need to work on, where we specifically need to improve. And I think BYU, most of the time, not all, but most of the time, they're going to provide you with a stiff test to get a better read to where you are and help you get prepared 
for the nine conference games because obviously the nine conference games, they're most likely more important than any non-conference game. You know, if you happen to be playing uh, Ohio State one year and this alliance maybe that might be a little bit different if it, if, you know, if it ever, if the alliance ever comes to anything like that. But most of the time, it, the conference games are going to be a higher level of importance. And so the, having the first game where you can work out the kinks and then the second game with BYU give you a better test, give you a real good understanding of where you're at. And I think it sets you up to find out where your football team is and lead you to more success. So I like the BYU game second if it's preceded by a big sky caliber opponent in the first game. More reaction flowing in. Question of the morning. How good were the Utes? What was your impression? What do you think? We, I think we all had high expectations for them. Uh, U-State Iceman says, what would have happened if they would have lost the game to a rain delay? That would have been a bad check mark for the Utes. Well, you can't lose something to a delay. You can only lose something to a postponement. Good point. <laughs> but if the lightning had continued to midnight, what would they have done? Kicked it off at 1230. Play at 1230 <laughs> Eastern time. Kyle's Let's like, go. we're playing this game. I mean, they did it with Boise and uh, UCF, right? They held for two hours and forty-five minutes. Yep. Yeah, they didn't play. They played well past midnight over there on the East Coast. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I stayed up. I thought the they whole played game. close to midnight here. Well, yeah, though they they finished past midnight here, but I'm just saying they played late. Into so the that's night. two a.m. then on the East Coast. No, they didn't finish past midnight because I, I didn't go to bed at midnight. So they finished at eleven thirty. It was definitely right. after eleven. But it was late. Yeah, them, yeah I'm a little tired this morning. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Uh, because I did stay up and watch that game. I didn't stay up and watch all the Sun Devil game. That was needless. But I did stay up and watch the boys' game. Actually, the rain delay worked well for me because I got into Ohio State, uh, Minnesota, big time. And, and remember yesterday I said that I was going to have the Utes on the big screen? Mm-hmm. Uh, but no. Since there was no game, <laughs> you didn't need But them. even when it came back, when they started it, I had it. On oh, really? I got into well, I got into the U game at that point. I mean, Weber State was making a game of it, so I know. But the higher, much higher stakes at Minnesota and Ohio State because I thought Minnesota had a chance. Conference so I game. stayed yeah. with it until Ohio State got that defensive score. score. Yeah, they and went all right. Clean. They've asserted control. Then I went back, flipped it, and then started bouncing back and kept waiting for the Boise game. And then the Boise, they get an interception, the first drive. Gabriel wild badly underthrows it. They take it back and yeah. If you put and, some uh, air under that, it's a touchdown pass. But he threw a line drive and he <laughs> right to him. Could have yeah. hurt that Boise State kid if he didn't get his hands up. And so I thought. Oh, and the wow. coach reaction shot was awesome. Malzahn's over there like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, Malzahn, former Arkansas State, where Blake Anderson came. Yeah. yeah. So they've got those uh, those roots there for sure. Look uh, at you in Jonesboro. Well, a lot of yeah, a lot, a lot of, of people hard. would refer to Malzahn as the former Auburn coach, but you go former Arkansas. Well, I said State. roots because there's a connection of what Blake Anderson's going to try to do, and Malzahn had some success at Auburn. Harson had some success at Arkansas State. Went to Boise, came home, and is now he's at Auburn. So, in a sense, Auburn has hired two Arkansas State coaches, not directly because Harson was hired from Boise State, but you get the point that that's a good training ground. I'm trying to provide some hope for the Aggie fans here. 
All right, DJ and PK, we got a question of the day up for the Aggie fans and for the Cougar fans. Yesterday we were asking, what will the record be for the Utes? And it ended up 33% of the people thought that they would go 10-2 and two or better. So we got predictions up for BYU and Utah State. You can pick your favorite. We'll update you on that. Uh, in the 8 o'clock hour, Josh Newman, Utes writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, will join us next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it is time to talk Ute football with Josh Newman, Ute's beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Josh, good morning. Good morning, boys. How are you? Good. Uh, There are many questions after one game. We've been dying to get a look at the team, and now we have. But the biggest question, how much confidence do you have in their ability to win the Pac-12 South and get to the Pac-12 title game? And I'm curious if you have more confidence in them, less, or about the same as you did before that thing kicked off and went into a lightning delay. Well, you know, to... To your first question, look, I, I think Utah is the best team in the Pac-12 South. I think they have more capabilities, more guys, and more positions than USC. Um, I don't think my opinion there has changed. It's certainly not going to change. I'm not going to make any sweeping, firm judgments off one game. Certainly not going to make any firm, sweeping judgments off one game against Weber State. Um, look, a lot of good last night. I thought Charlie Brewer was solid. Uh, Tavion Thomas looked as advertised. Devin Lloyd was all over the field. A lot of good things last night. Um, but there was a lot of things they need fixing. And Kyle Whittingham was not shy last night post-game in speaking about those things. Um, look, Tavion Thomas lost a fumble. Uh, they missed an extra point after a delay of game. Um, T.J. Pledger dropped a touchdown pass. Right, Charlie Brewer hit him on the two-yard line. He dropped it. Uh, Cole Fotheringham dropped a touchdown pass. Uh, they gave up a 17-play drive to Weber State, although that ended in a goal-line stand. So um, one game, um, not going to go off the reservation of, about anything really off one game, uh, but now things are going to start to get a little more serious with a better opponent coming here um, in BYU. Yeah, all reasonable takes off of that game as far as not making uh, pronouncements, what have you. Uh, the number one thing that I was looking for, Josh, going into this game was how the running backs were going to play, you know, because uh, BYU, or excuse me, Utah, you know, you haven't been here that long, but it takes you about five minutes to figure out, okay, they have had success with one back. I think they've had eight of the last ten years, have had over a thousand yards a running back has had. So Kyle prefers a one back system with other guys spotting that particular back. I don't want to go crazy, but it did seem to me like if we're going to go with a depth chart next week against the Cougars, I'm going to go Thomas 1, uh, Bernard 2, Pledger 3, Curry 4. What do you think? Yeah, you know, if you want to create a depth chart, I, I, I agree with that. You know, with that, um, Thomas, Bernard, Pledger, Curry. Now, again, one game, you don't want to make any huge sweeping generalizations, but I, I will say this. Tavion Thomas, just based on what you watched last night, just off the eye test, he looks like a guy that you can give the ball to 15 or 20 times. He he has the size. He has the speed. He looks like that guy. Um, I'd like to see more of T.J. Pleasure before I really start to make up my mind. Um, everything coming out of camp was that, you know, that he was very good, that he was as advertised. 
as I said, opening drive, he drops a touchdown pass. He was kind of in the doghouse after that. Only had a couple of carries. Uh, Chris Curry played, you know, he was limited. He only carried the ball three times. He got stuffed on a, on a fourth and goal at the one after uh, the offensive line blew up. So um, my big takeaway from the running back situation, aside from Thomas, is that I thought Makai Bernard was really good last night. He had a couple of catches on, on the first drive. I think he had three catches. Uh, you know, he ran the ball four times. I think he finished with like 77 or, or, or 80 total yards. Um, good for him because he's a third-year guy. He's been patient. He's waited his turn. And he had a pretty pretty solid opening effort, um, it, in my opinion. But, again, no sweeping judgments. Um, but I agree with you. If we're looking at a pecking order, yes, I think it's Tavion Thomas at number one right now. Nick Ford tweeting out, there will be improvement. The O-line had some good moments, but the O-line had some bad moments. Missed blocks in the running game, and the quarterback got hit too much. Quarterback definitely got hit too much. Brewer took a took a pretty good shot to uh, to the head at one point. That uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, that was a targeting call, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a targeting call. So, look, the offensive line, you know, Kyle Whittingham has, has painted that as his biggest concern right now. Um Everybody dressed, with the exception of uh, Sateo Laumea. So Jaron Kump, that you know, that's the big takeaway. Jaron Kump did not play last night. Dressed, didn't play. Kyle said post game that he uh, he's optimistic that Kump can play against BYU. Um, so if Kump does play against BYU, what do you do with the rest of the line? Look, Jaron Kump is going to play. He's the best tackle on the roster. So what do you do? You know, do you slide Kump in? Um, at left tackle and pull Bam Olaseni out. Do you slide Kump in at right tackle and leave Olaseni there? There, so you know there's some decisions to be made. But I think, I think things will get better once Kump is in in the lineup, healthy and able to play. I like where this BYU game is situated. Uh, I prefer they play the first game of the year, and I'd wish that there would be some rule that they, the all teams, not just the Utes or whomever, play. they shouldn't be playing Big Sky teams, but everybody does it, so or most everybody anyway. But I like that the the you know you got enough to work on based on the game itself from Weber, and they probably weren't going to play a perfect game, and they maybe they played a little less perfect if that's an expression that Kyle would want. So he's got things to work on, but the fact that it's BYU, and even if you're new, you still have an understanding of who BYU is, and they haven't lost to them. They're going for ten in a row. So I really like the way it's set up because I think it gives them a challenge to. Be ready. They should be focused and all that stuff. Get a better read of where they're at, followed by San Jose State the following week, and then starting conference play. In, in my mind, I like slating BYU at that second spot after the first game against Big Sky Caliber. Hey, do you like that where it is? I do. I agree with you. I like where it is. Now, look, on one hand, I understand if if you or or or, or the fans would want Utah-BYU as the opener, because if it's the opener, you have months and months of buildup. You know, people are going to be talking about it for months because it's the first game. That's on one hand. On the other hand, again, I agree with you. Second game means, look, Utah has a baseline now for what they are, what they need to work on. They can make improvements. You know, BYU is in the same boat. They're going to play Arizona late Saturday night. They'll have a baseline. They'll have things that they can work on. And theoretically, Utah-BYU being the second game, 
you're going to see two improved football teams based on what we're seeing in game one. So, yes, I agree with you. I like this, you know, I, I like this Utah BYU game in that second spot because, again, theoretically, we're going to get a higher quality of play out of both teams versus what we might have gotten if it was the opener. Do you believe the tight ends are good enough and uh, fast enough to get downfield and make the explosive plays that we generally expect wide receivers to make, except the Utes don't seem to have the quality and the depth of wide receivers that we would normally associate with a really good football team? Uh, yes, I do. And I think Brand Keithy is a, is a proven commodity in that department. I mean, look, just look at the first play from scrimmage last night. Uh, Utah went five wide, Brewer in the shotgun, uh, Keithy gets behind his man, draws a pass interference penalty. Uh, you know that's what that's what Keithy does. You know he's not this big lumbering blocking tight end. He's more of a you know a versatile type of guy, a, a pass catching option. And you know he's a again he's a proven commodity there. I came away really impressed uh, with Dalton Kincaid last night, um, transfer from the University of San Diego, where he was uh, an FCS All American in 2019. Uh, you know, played the, you know, the weirdo five-game COVID season. You know, he played, uh, but he didn't have a huge impact last season. He came out last night, and I thought he was awesome. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. I think he was four catches for 76 yards, caught a couple of touchdown passes. That's an interesting weapon kind of coming out of nowhere here. And Kyle said post-game, he, he thinks that Kincaid, and I'm paraphrasing Kyle, he thinks that Kincaid is the best-kept secret in the Pac-12. Kind of hard to argue based on what we saw last night. So I like how you definitively thought that uh, Utah is the best team in the South. I don't know if they are. I'm not willing to go to that strong, but the good thing about it is they've got nine games to prove it. And most people, well, not maybe not most people, but anyway, a lot of people would think that, you know, SC should be there. So I want to run this by you, that, okay, going with your argument, for argument with your statement, for argument's sake, Utah has the best talent in the South, all right? I can agree with that. We'll see what happens. But how about that even though they have the best talent, they don't necessarily win the division because SC doesn't play Oregon and Washington. I think that's a huge advantage for the Trojans. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to argue there. Huge advantage, absolutely. And just to further your point, uh, we all know that Utah hasn't won that at the Coliseum. And we can talk about, you know, the 100-year streak, but let's let's boil that down a, a little further. Utah is 0-5 at the Coliseum since joining the Pac-12. Some of those losses have been under brutal circumstances, and and that's what it is. And if if Utah thinks, excuse me, if Utah thinks that it's for real, if it thinks that it's a legitimate contender to win the Pac-12, this Utah team needs to go into the Coliseum and figure it out. That's flat statement. I've been saying it for, for months. If Utah thinks it's for real, you need to figure it out at USC. And, look, they win last night. They will be betting favorites against BYU and San Diego State and Washington State. And I think they're going to go into the Coliseum at 4-0. And they need to figure it out. If you're going to win the Pac-12 South, you have to beat USC at USC. It's high time that you figure that out. Uh, Josh Newman, join us here, Utes writer for the Salt Lake Tribune after Utah beats Weber State. You know, Kyle will say a lot of things for public consumption, and he doesn't spin it a lot, but he also doesn't have to tell 100% the truth. 
What do you think bugs him the most right now? And has he blurted it out or not? It was interesting last night. He he walked into the post game presser with a what appeared to be a crumpled up three by five index card. And at one point he pulls out the card and it's literally a list of things that they did wrong. Um, I don't think he harped on any one thing. I don't think there's any one thing off that game that's bugging him, but there's a lot of little things that he believes that need fixing. And, you know, I mentioned most of them, right? The drop touchdown passes, uh, stuffed on fourth and one, uh, you know, the Tavion Thomas fumble. I think he, and again, the, the, there's only so much to glean from a nine-minute post-game press conference with Kyle having not watched film yet. I don't know that there's any one thing that's bugging him. I think he's walking out of that game optimistic, but it was very clear to me that he was at least mildly displeased about what went on last night. And I don't blame him. You know, Weaver hung around. Uh, they gave up a 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown, which I failed to mention throughout this interview. That, that kills Kyle and their special teams problem. So, uh, no, you know, no one glaring thing, but certainly a lot of little things. And I don't know that I don't know that their total effort last night is good enough to beat the top of the Pac-12. Like I don't know that last night's effort beats USC. I don't know that that effort beats a healthy Arizona State. But again, it's a baseline, and it's one game, and you're not going to go crazy over anything. But there's absolutely things that need to be fixed. I think anybody watching last night, whether it be on TV or live, I think everybody can agree that there are plenty of things that need working on. Josh, we appreciate the time as always. Enjoy a uh, enjoy ten days to the next game. I don't know. That doesn't make any difference to you. You got to keep you got to keep grinding out content. It doesn't matter to you, right? Oh <laughs> uh, no, it's it's day after day. We'll get it done. But it, look. Football's back, right? These are good problems to have. I'm happy to keep cranking Ooh. things out because it means we have a season. So let's get I going. I hear you. Way to go. Josh Newman, you can read him in the Salt Lake Tribune covering the Utes. Follow him on social media as well. Thank you, Josh. DJ Thanks, and guys. PK. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We've got a lot of reaction to the Ute game, people's impressions coming in, a lot of what uh, – Josh just said, and then people just weighing in based on what they saw in the game as well. And we will get to that next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Joining us now, former Coug, our good friend Jordan Pendleton. BYU turning over the roster a little bit. Lay out some realistic expectations for this year's squad. I think as far as athleticism goes and potential, I think the athletes are there, but it's kind of unknown right now. Do I think BYU is going to only lose one game this year? Probably not. I think their schedule is going to be pretty tough, but I am excited to see how they respond off of last year with a better schedule ahead and see what they can do this year. So it's going to be fun to see, but it's definitely a toss-up right now. I think every Everybody's just excited to see them go get this first game under their belt and see what type of team that they're going to be. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Reaction flooding in. Impressions of the Utes after a 40-17 to win over Weber State in the season opener. What are your impressions? Jimmy just tweeted at us that they always find a way to look bad against an FCS team to open the season. Then they end up 9-3. and three. Did you think they looked bad, PK? No. Because they found the, the running back and the quarterback was as advertised and the defense is what it usually is? 
All right, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> you love to tell me I'm wrong or say, yeah, those three are good points, but you missed the obvious one. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But in this particular case, you hit on a lot of what I would have said. Sure. Yeah. You know, get out there and play football. Now, one thing I'm going to say definitive. You want a definitive statement. This is the best team they've had since 2019. Okay, thanks. Thanks there, big guy. <laughs> As it should be since 2020. <laughs> Pandemic and five-game schedule aside, looked like it was going to be a rebuilding year. They ought to be better this year than they were last year. And I get that last year was weird beyond belief. But they ought to be better this year. And it looks like they are better this year. And the transfer portal looks like it paid off. The secondary didn't show me anything, but I don't know that I expected them to show me anything. They're going to face stiffer tests. The Graham Harrell offense of the USC Trojans with Slovis, obviously, is going to be much, much better. It goes without saying. What do you do then? I mean, I think we're going to see it next week. The Cougar offense is going to be better, right? I mean, it goes without saying also. Uh, so I'm not sure about San Diego State in terms of the secondary. I don't know you would know better as far as, uh, you know, Rocky Long and how much influence is still there because they were a ground-and-pound type of team. So I want to see what the secondary can do against teams that are capable of putting the ball up and moving it through the air. And I knew going in that I probably wasn't going to get a good enough read on that secondary, right? So... They didn't meet. There were no expectations for me to meet. So they certainly didn't exceed expectations, nor did they fall below expectations because I didn't have much of an expectation level as far as the Utah secondary's ability to defend the pass and to defend pass-happy teams. But they're going to get a test next week. Not sure about the following week. Uh, Washington State tends to like to put the ball up. Then they got time off to prepare for the Trojans, and the Trojans throw the ball a lot. As they should. They've got a great receiver and a great quarterback. So I don't have, basically, I have an incomplete on the secondary, but I gave them that grade last week, expecting that it wasn't going to change much based off of uh, an opponent, the big sky opponent. And that's exactly where I'm at there. Everything else, I was fine with. You know, you, you expect discipline out of a Kyle Whittingham team. So you don't expect 12 guys out on the field, right? Those types of things are surprised because he's a regimented dude at 7 o'clock the second Tuesday of the season. He's doing the exact same thing that he's done for 25, 30 years at 7 o'clock in the morning on the second Tuesday of the season. You know what I'm saying? He has everything structured. He's a very structured person in his life and in his program. So you don't expect stupid stuff like having too many guys out on the field. When they put the graphic up on the game, Kyle Whittingham, 17th year. Now, we were doing the radio show when he started. We full well know, all right, 04 is burning people's mind. Urban went undefeated, and Kyle took over in 05. There's literally thousands of youth fans who can recite that in the blink of an eye, and yet it was still weird to see 17 years up there. And you're right, 17 years, I think since year, boy, this has got to be at least year 13 or 14 of him doing pretty much the same thing. I think he yeah, tinkered yeah, early yeah. on, finding his way, but he found it, and then he locked in. He's like, well, that's working. I'm not screwing it up. I'm not going to try to outthink the room here. That's working. I'm doing it. And so he doesn't have downtime. 
If he needs to return phone calls, he gets on the treadmill and returns phone calls because he wants to get his workout in and have the Whittingham Cavs and people creating Twitter accounts about him. It doesn't change. Very simple guy in the way he lives his life, and it works for him. So good yep. good on him. You know, he's had enormous success. He's going to go down as the winningest coach in Utah football history. He's going to retire whenever he wants to, most likely. So everything is set up for him. So one of the things you can appreciate about his program is the structure and knowing things. Well, we can predict things. As, as we can, Pretty much he doesn't even need to speak because we can all tell you what he's going to say. Uh, on just about any and every question that he gets, right? He's been around long enough, which you probably get that from just about any coach who's been around this long because he's starting to get up there as he approaches 20 years as a head coach at the same institution in which he worked 10 years as a de- – uh, well, not entirely as the coordinator, but on the defensive side. So, wow, he's basically going to follow Lavelle Edwards, you know, in terms of uh, – duration and all that he may not get the same amount of years as a head coach but the just the way his program is so you don't expect some things and there's a couple things that you know surprise me one of the things that bug me though and and maybe it's because we pick at it so much that it bothers us and we're heightened aware where our awareness is heightened but the drop td passes uh and i just and i and i get you fans you had a touchdown and it didn't matter in this game, but you had a touchdown, and you dropped it, and so you had to set up for a field goal. It's Utah's offense settling for field goals when they should have had a touchdown. It seems like that in big situations. Now, maybe they gotten past that because they won the South uh, two out of the last three years, but that that memory there, it's a scarring memory. That's the word I was waiting for. <laughs> I, it didn't matter in this game, and I don't matter if I don't know if it'll matter in future games, but the Ute fans have scars in that area. Dropped balls have been a problem. Turning seven points into three has been a problem. To have them both happen at the same time same time on the same play at the two yard line, oh, you could just feel the shiver run up and down people's spines. You know what long suffering Ute fans are thinking. That's four points we're going to need against fill-in-the-blank. BYU, BYU, ASU, USC, Oregon, all games that matter a lot to you fans. Alabama, Ohio State. Yeah, in the playoffs, right? (laughs) Washington in the title game. Uh, Basin Brand, look at this, PK. You found your peeps. You can ride with Basin Brand. Why do the youths play Weber every year? Seems like a waste of a game. No offense to Weber, but the Utes need to be playing teams on their level. This game says very little about where the Utes are at. All things considered, Weber looked good as always. Jay Hill is top notch. Okay, fine. But I do think that the, the, the running backs all ran against Weber's defense. And we saw something potentially special out of one guy. We saw something pretty good out of another guy. And yep. I'm speaking of Thomas and Bernard. So, so I, I can't discount that. I would have preferred... Yeah, go ahead and play. You, you never know, though. I mean, like when they played Michigan, that wasn't the Michigan team, that the Michigan program. They weren't playing the Michigan program. Doesn't matter. They were playing the helmets, and that was Jim Harbaugh, and they smacked them around, and it felt good. Right, but we knew they were going to do that. It would have been a surprise otherwise. And, yeah, it's a better opponent. But it, I don't like it either, but I've accepted it. And so I'm trying to make 
the best out of it. And these all these running backs all ran against the same defense. You see what I'm saying there? So you can make a judgment there. Clearly, Thomas, uh, yeah, Thomas looked better than everybody else. He just did. But Bernard, but Bernard looked really good, and if Thomas keeps fumbling, Bernard's going to be the guy. Okay, I want to keep fumbling. He's ha- he had one fumble. Yes, there. and if that keeps <laughs> happening, if he has one fumble in every game, he's not going to be the guy. Well, no you one gotta, is. Right. Hold on to the ball against Bernard BYU. Bernard f- fumbles twice against the Cougars. He's out, too. <laughs> good point. You got me there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's a standard that applies across the board. I don't, maybe the, I don't know if this kid is loose with the ball. I haven't seen enough of him. I didn't even know about him until a few weeks ago. I didn't know about him in earnest, besides looking at a name on a piece of paper. No, but the fact that he could win this competition seriously came up a few weeks ago. No question. And since then, everybody's heard it, and everybody's been digging around, and, you know, the Google machine works for everybody, and then you try to find people around the program who would know. Yeah. And they all and it was said, all yeah. good, and then he yeah. came out, and he looked really good. You average nine yards a carry, you have everybody's full attention. Now, they only gave him 12 carries down the road. We might be looking at 22 carries. They only gave him 12. You know, Pledger only got two. He had the drop on the, on the pass at the two-yard line. Curry only got three carries. So I assume they kind of knew where they wanted to go when the game started, but give everybody a chance. And Pledger had 10 yards on his two carries. I mean, nothing wrong with that. A couple of five-yard carries. Average five yards a carry, good things are going to happen. Bernard averaged almost six and was a threat out of the backfield with the three catches for 41 yards. So, Well, I feel very confident that Andy Ludwig will put Bernard in positions to succeed. So he'll get the job done there. Andy will make sure of it because I, I think the world of uh, uh, Andy Ludwig as a coordinator. And he's really not going to miss on something like that. We only saw it because he's already not missing on it. No, and and people have told me about Andy Ludwig over the years, and how he's got guys just he, he's he's a Whittingham clone, and and he's a no nonsense dude. Uh, he's one of these guys. Uh, it sort of reminds me a little bit of Robert and I, except for one for some reason, and I went went in confrontation mode a few times. Ludwig won't do that, but if you interview him, uh, he's all business. But then once you turn the recorder off. You can talk with him a little bit. And so he's a little different that way. So, you know, Kyle will shuck and jive when the record uh, recorders are on. You know, he'll say, especially at the start of an interview and this time of year, as we get deeper into the season, it's a little bit different. But Ludwig is all business, and he's really good. And so he's going to put these guys in a position to succeed. So I'm excited to see because they've got – Probably got more weapons than they've had. I don't know individually if the weapons are as good individually. What I mean by that is, is Zach Moss better? Or, I mean, is Thomas better than Zach Moss? Well, I probably wouldn't say that. Certainly wouldn't say that right now. But when Zach Moss was the featured running back, I don't think the offense has had had as many potential weapons as it has now. Right now, there's five skill players who have the ball, not counting quarterbacks, but running backs, tight ends, receivers. There's five guys, if they have the ball, you think something really good could happen. Thomas and Bernard at running back. Kincaid and Keithy at tight end. And Britton Covey. 
And Salamanina's had a good game. I want to see more of that before I'm really confident. I'm open to the possibility, but I'm not really confident he's going to sustain that. But well, ultimately, th- they may have six guys. They may. Enos. I think he can get the job done, Enos. If, if he averages, and it's Weber State, so I, you know, but if he averages four catches for 62 yards, yeah. he's a good college wide receiver. Yeah, and that's what I think he is. That's, I'm, I'm fairly confident in saying that. But I will say you're absolutely right. The quarterback room, the running back room, the receiver room, I mean, the, geez, they charge extra. They're not rooms. I'm going to start calling them suites. Nice. In the running back suite, you've <laughs> got to you use you that. You've got to earn that. You've got to find, uh, got to find a way to uh, work that into a question to Kyle because I think you'll make him laugh. In the running back suite, you got two running running backs. You don't have them in a room, Kyle. You got them in a suite. You know you right. Do. I mean, it's you a got, step up. You got packed old money now, Kyle. It's a suite. Right, right. We went from Motel Six to you know the Four Seasons. Right. It's not just a room now. I'll leave it's a light a on for you. Nah, don't. I'm not coming by. We're gonna no, be no, on we'll, the Four Seasons. No, in the suite, we'll leave the chandelier on for you. Now you're talking. Right? Yeah. So it's a much better room. It's got a balcony. So, and it's so, got a view. Let's order a little room service, huh? Room service, uh, yeah, as long as you're on the company credit card because you can get a little expensive. On the Pac-12 credit card. But Absolutely. if you're, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I ever did that, but if you're on the company credit card, you know, you can order room service because you're not paying for it. And when when when, uh, when the Tribune sent me to the Final Four, uh, Cragthorpe, my gosh, he was just piling on the stories. And I said, Kurt, man, I got like 10 stories to do. I haven't eaten. You know what he said? I think I've told you what he said. He said, order room service and keep typing. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. We got to have him on again. I want to hear that story. I, don't I thought we were going to get the story that. about him walking across town carrying his uh, suitcase, his roller suitcase behind him. Oh. Well, everybody's got those. Yeah, but that, you ever what you just said, because I've never heard that one before. So that's yeah, yeah. I was sitting in the sitting in the hotel in San Antonio, and they sent me down to Compton before uh, I I took off on the. They beat Arizona. And then I took off on the Sunday to go to Compton because they wanted a massive A1 piece on Andre Miller. So, And I, I've told you this before, anything in L.A., I was their guy. And so they sent me down there, and I went to visit his parents in, the, in his home and went to uh, his high school. And I'd, I hadn't been to his home, but I'd been to the high school and whatnot, so I knew my way around. So I had that story I had to write, and then I get into San Antonio – and uh, man, Kurt is just giving you assignment after assignment. It's a big deal too, obviously. The, the, final the final four. four. <laughs> so I mean, I get it, but I did make that comment, and I remember him saying, "Just order room service and keep, keep typing." typing. <laughs> All right, DJ and PK, BYU, the Big Twelve, the dance continues. We will get to that next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The New Look Aggies hit the road to take on Washington State to kick off the Blake Anderson era in Logan. Catch all the play-by-play action beginning with the pregame show at 8. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Our friends at BYU Sports Nation with a good question and then a hilarious reply, PK. What you got? Well, BYU Sports Nation has a question of the day. They're coming up in a little more than an hour. Uh, where are you emotionally with the BYU to the Big 12 speculation? And Brandon tweets back something from the office where Michael Scott <laughs> looks into the camera because they do that interview-style thing in the office with the documentary crew, and he says, no question about it, I'm ready to be hurt again. <laughs> okay, that's pretty funny. Hurt well, or heard? Hurt again. Oh, yeah, I don't because think there this was, time. Yeah, I know, I think it is different this time. And last time they were at 10, and they're going to go to 12, and BYU looks like a solid pick for 11, and who will school 12 be? And they decide, never mind, we're staying at 10. Get the rug pulled out of you. But now they're going to 8. They, they, they can't say, never mind, we like what we have. It's not happening. If you're a serious conference these days, you're at 12 teams. If you're at 10, you're vulnerable. So they're going to add four. You said earlier in the show you think BYU is option one. So And, and they're certainly in a position where they've got um, – they're more, uh, what is the word, more versatile. They're, they're able to respond more quickly as an independent. Other schools would have to give notice to their league. Investability is availability. There you well, go. Well, they could be in the league next year. Now, all these reports are starting to come out now fast and furious. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're germinating from Big 12 sources. I don't have any Big 12 sources. I got BYU sources. And so I'm getting it from the BYU angle. And they can be in the league next season. I'm not going to go out and tweet anything. That's not my style. I've decided I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to do it here on the air uh, so I can draw people in to listen, obviously. hey yes. I mean, putting it out on Twitter doesn't get me anything. I don't that's need a, any credit from anybody. Go that's ahead. A, uh, that's a Jake Scott advice right there. Yeah, well, it's wise. Jake is wise when it comes to radio. He's had many great ideas over the years. And so... Uh, you want to know what I know, I'll tell you. But I'm going to tell you here rather than putting it out on Twitter. Uh, and these other people, they need to do that. And that's good for them. I've got no problem with them doing that. They, I don't need to increase my stature, my profile. It is what it is at this point in my life. Uh, but I believe that that if BYU wants in, they can get. They will get in. If, if BYU wants in, they will get in. I'm not reporting that they're going. I want to make sure that anybody, everybody understands that. But they are, I believe, the number one. Just the things that I believe based on what I hear and, and have been told. I believe they're the number one option. I believe they can go in as soon as next season. And they, they why wouldn't they want to go in next season? Establish relationships. Get going. I've heard the possibility of football only. Uh, until Oklahoma and Texas leave. You know, who's going to call each other's bluff on that deal? I don't have any sources on that as far as is Oklahoma or Oklahoma and Texas, are they going to leave early? Uh, will they stay until 2025 to get every last penny? You know, who knows? I don't know how that's going to happen. But they don't need, the Big Ten, 12 doesn't need Oklahoma and Texas to vote yes on BYU for BYU to get in now. Uh, and we were talking about this, I think it was earlier in the week, and you were talking about down the line. I'm saying, no, I said it at that time, that no, it's immediate. It very well could be immediate. It may not be. I'm not reporting that it's going to be. I'm just reporting, uh, talking about what I've heard. Uh, and, you know, ESPN is involved, and there's a possibility maybe BYU keeps its deal somehow with ESPN, how that is to be determined. There's a lot of layers of stuff. There's a that- ton of layers, and that's why I thought it was down the line. But 
There's a lot of money at stake, and if you can make a little more money by striking quickly, whether you're a school, whether you're a conference, whether you're a TV network, and we're dealing with two conferences, you know, it's not just when will the Big 12 and Oklahoma and Texas cut a deal, but is the SEC urging Oklahoma and Texas in the background? Are they bringing up some points about, hey, this is why it's worth it to you to cut a deal and write a little bigger check and make it move more quickly? And there, When you say there are a lot of layers, there are a lot of layers. Yeah. Sure, there's stuff I don't even know about. I know yeah. there's stuff I don't know about, and I, I do believe that the Big Twelve, though the remaining eight, they're reaching out to P five schools. It's not just the schools you've been reported that have been reported. They've I read one thing that others. there were that there were fifteen schools, but those were G fives. And you brought up the possibility of hey, reach out to the Arizonas. What do they think? On the surface, I don't see why the Arizonas would go. But if I were the Big Twelve, they got to do their homework. They should reach out to the Arizonas. And who else do they think? Do they reach out to former Big 12 schools who maybe aren't happy where they are about coming back? I don't think they will, but if you're the Big 12, you're not doing your job if you don't reach out. Right. So it is a complicated process, as you can imagine. And I don't know what BYU is going to do. I can't say that I know that they are all in at this point. I don't know that. I mean, they very well could be all in, and it's just a matter of working out a bunch of details I don't know that, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you anything to, to that I don't know or that I don't believe. Okay, but do you think that there's a possibility that BYU there are not everyone, but there are enough powerful people who like BYU as an independent, they would turn the Big Twelve down. Personal opinion now. Yes. I think BYU will be in the Big Twelve. I think they're gonna go there. And establish these relationships, see what they can build up. They know they've got the relationship with ESPN. They're willing to play all those games at eight eight thirty at night on a Saturday in November if that's what it takes. So the point being, if this thing doesn't work out down the line, short term, long term, whatever it might be, they have a fallback situation. ESPN wants to take advantage of that, so they have a connection there. Uh, so I think they're going to do it. It's a great, great move for basketball. Uh, everyone is excited around BYU to see what Mark Pope can do, how how much, how far, how long, how high, whatever, he can take this basketball program. And they believe getting that program into this conference, it's obvious. Everyone <laughs> believes it. It's a no-brainer. It's, we all agree on that. You can't argue that it would be an outstanding basketball conference from it day would be, one. It would be top three in a down year. That's and, awesome. And and in an up year, it would be the best league in the in the country. Possibly. I mean, the way Baylor, Texas Tech, Kansas to have those three at the top of the league. And to say that BYU and Cincinnati could be coming in, Houston has had good teams over time, uh, Kansas State and Oklahoma State have been good over time, I mean, that's, Iowa State has been a two-seed. Uh, it's an awesome basketball league. You know? yeah. now, now, in another year, the ACC or the Big Ten, the SEC does seem to have the arrow up. Uh, but certainly the ACC and Big Ten can be great in any given year. So it'll just depend any on, given year. Yeah, it right, just depends yeah. on the year. But, but it's going to be solid every year. But the Big 12 will never fall. That Big 12 would never fall very far from the top. I think that uh, what you'll find basketball-wise is all those coaches are going to praise BYU in the way Mark Few did 
Mark Few absolutely loves. He, if he could get away with it, he'd play BYU five times in conference play, and four of them would be on on the road probably because he loves bringing his team into. I've spoken to him multiple times in one-on-one situations about this very thing. He loved bringing them in there because he thought it was tournament-tested top uh, as far as environments, and they play you tough. We've seen it. They've beaten them a number of times. And you're going to find Bill Self and the like, uh, uh, Drew down there in Baylor, those guys start praising, wow, this is awesome. They probably already know it anyway, but uh, they uh, they would enjoy that. So that's a good situation there. Uh, Football, you know, probably not as good on the uh, level as it would be in basketball, but let's see what they can do. Let's see what they can build. It, it to me, it gives it provides the conference with some hope that you're not just going to drift away. And then, if you can get it going, well, then you can sustain it a little bit. And you know, who knows how what's going to happen. 10 years from now, what all the changes are going to be. I don't know that that'll big, big 12 will be there forever in its entirety whenever they decide to announce their expansion situations. But the bottom line is if BYU, I believe, if BYU wants in, they will get in this time. It D- could be as soon as next year. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12. Sorry to go lock on you there. <laughs> that's, that's fine. He's not coming on on Friday, so you got to fill in the role. Come on. Did you see, man, I, speaking of lock in basketball, I saw on Instagram Jordan Clarkson. He's been busy uh, in the uh, the old tattoo uh, artist uh, facility this offseason. What did he add? Oh, man, it looks like I got a picture of it right now. He's, he's, he's got, like, uh, long workout shorts, and he doesn't have a shirt on. He's got a face tattoo coming off the left eye. The, all the way up to the neck now is tattooed. Uh, so he's been busy, man. And another set that said Jordan Clarkson, it's called Inked NBA if you want to look at it on Instagram. Jordan Clarkson can't be stopped. JC added yet another set of pieces, including his first face tat. How about that? What do you I'll, think of face tats? I'll pass, thanks. <laughs> DJ with a face tat. <laughs> what was I watching? I was watching something. I was channel serving during a game, and I can't remember what came up. But someone was was literally laying there, getting inked in the needle, and they were asking him how much it hurt. And that, oh my gosh! And I'm like, me and needles, not going to happen. And then you have to uh, you have to have it wrapped and have uh, basically a you know, a massive to, Band-Aid on it for a while. I had to go get a physical about a month ago. And you got to go in for a blood draw, right? And they got to do a whole panel or whatever. So fine. So I go in, and the dude jabs me in the arm. But first off, he's, he's just he's poking around with his fingers trying to get the vein. I don't do needles. We need to move he on. He jabs me in the arm and doesn't get any blood. Sorry, I'm going to have to do the other one. So he fills up this glove with warm water and puts it in the, in the left arm in the thing, the elbow, to try to get the, the uh, thing to rise. And my wife right then texts me, how's it going? <laughs> uh, All right, let's break. I just hate that. Making hate that. me freak Really? Out. Oh, yeah. I don't do needles. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time now to talk Washington State football with Alex Brink. 
He's a Washington State football analyst on their broadcast. Alex joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. So, Alex, I'm curious, with Utah State coming up here in the opener, and then in late September, the Utes, and then in October, BYU, what is Washington State's shot at claiming the Utah State Championship? <laughs> I know, right? It feels like, uh, you know, we decided to hit everybody. We need to add Weber in there, right, to uh, <laughs> nice. get, get, the, get the foursome going. What I want to know is who's going to be the quarterback. It's a phenomenal question. To some degree, I, you know, <laughs> I, I would like to know too, right? I, I mean, it's been cut down from four to three to two finally for the Cougs with uh, Jaden Delora, the freshman starter from last year. Um, and then the tr- grad transfer from Tennessee, Jared Garantano. Um, and you've got two guys that I think honestly bring a little bit different uh, things to the fold. I think physically Garantano is a little bit bigger. He's obviously more mature, played a lot of football in the SEC for, for University of Tennessee. Uh, he's been under the bright lights in you know some big-time stadiums, big-time ball games. Had his struggles, but to be fair, I mean, it's not like Tennessee's been uh, burning down the doors when it comes to winning football games in general. And so I think he's been a, a little bit more of a, a product of that than, uh, than anything else. So he's got a chance to kind of reinvent himself at Washington State. And then Delora had some flashes last year as a freshman. Um, this offseason got into some trouble and, and was suspended for most of the offseason, missed spring ball, finally got back for fall camp. Uh, so he's a little bit behind the curve, in my opinion, as far as the development he needs to continue to be consistent. But, boy, is he electric. So I, I think Coach Rolovich and the staff keeping this one pretty close to the vest, kind of similar to what's happening at Utah State, right? And so we'll find out, obviously, when that first snap happens Saturday. But I wouldn't be surprised to see both guys at some point in that game. Cam Cooper is a Lehigh High School product here uh, in Utah. So a lot of people have followed him. Where did he come up short in the battle? I'll tell you what, you know, Cam, I've known for a long time since he came out of high school and, and was part of the Elite 11 competition that I helped coach in. And, um, you know, he, he ended up third on the depth chart. I think, in all honesty, he was a guy that was fighting a little bit of an uphill battle, particularly when Garantano came in. Uh, Cam got some snaps last year, you know, looked good at times. In the offseason, was getting reps because Delora was out. And then uh, Garantano comes in and obviously has some more experience uh, has that veteran presence and then kind of starts taking reps away from him. I think, you know, I think for Cam, I mean, he's a supremely physically gifted player and as a guy that, you know, the reps and all the things that come in practice, you know, it, for any quarterback, it used to be that if you sat till your junior or senior year, that was the norm, right? And now the expectation is everybody wants to play as a freshman or sophomore when the reality is that everybody develops on a different curve. And I think Cam's coming along just fine. And, and knowing him, if he's such a phenomenal kid, um, he's going to be a productive member of that team all the way. So last year was a screw year for everybody, particularly Borgie, you know, an all-conference type back who only played in a couple games. But the positive with him being out is McIntosh flourished. So now you got two, what I would consider, really good running backs. How are they going to fit into what Rolovich is trying to do offensively? feels like you, know, you can have one, one A and one B when it comes to the running back options, which is great, right? In the run and shoot, um, there is a pass-heavy element to it, but it's significantly more balanced than, say, the air raid with Mike Leach. And so, you know, Max, well, that was the hope 
heading into last year was that Max Borgie was going to be able to do some of the heavy lifting because they didn't have a ton of time to install the offense and those sort of things. Then obviously Max got hurt. Uh, so you were more limited offensively, but it allowed a guy like McIntosh uh, to show what he could do, right? McIntosh went to Notre Dame out of high school, ended up transferring, coming to Washington State. So he's got great pedigree also. Those two guys uh, are both phenomenal downhill runners that attack the line of scrimmage. And with a great offensive line like Washington State has, I mean, I really think this offense, is going to lean run heavy, particularly early in the year with these quarterbacks as they get their feet underneath them uh, and rely on Borgie and McIntosh to, to carry the load. So I'm curious, it's great to have good running backs, but Washington State didn't, uh, under the previous staff, uh, the Pirate wasn't looking to run the ball, and that's a really different skill set. Has this O-line been rebuilt now to the point that it can push people around and run the ball? Well, one thing that's interesting about what Mike Leach and his staff did was they recruited uh, very well on the offensive line when it comes to the bodies and the athleticism that they wanted. And so although they were primarily a pass-first team, so you're obviously working more on pass-set schemes, there was enough run blocking. You had a couple, you had two really good offensive line coaches during the time uh, Mike Leach was at Washington State that were able to keep those guys pretty balanced from a fundamental standpoint. You look across that line, you know, Abe Lucas, at right tackle is the guy that gets the headlines. He'll be a first-day NFL draft pick for sure. But there's three or four other guys that have a chance to be all-conference and maybe a couple of them playing on Sundays also. Yeah, I would put Liam Ryan in that category too. Uh, And the offensive line has a lot of experience coming back, so I expect them to be pretty good. On the other side of the ball, I I sort of got good news and bad news. I mean, they allowed over 460 yards and almost 40 points a game uh, last year, but they're returning almost everybody as a starter, which uh, just because they come back, it doesn't mean necessarily that they're good. Now, Jaw Woods, uh, I think he's a super senior, three-time All-Pac-12 there at linebacker, so obviously he's good, but how about the rest of the guys? Boy, that's a great point. <laughs> I think you look at a roster that's loaded with, you know, kind of the, the super seniors, as you say, and, and redshirt seniors and redshirt juniors, and you'd like to think that, hey, this is a team that is going to be defensively in the you know top third of the Pac-12, and obviously production-wise, last year they weren't that. And a couple of tough matchups when you talk about USC at USC, Utah at Utah. Uh, you know they had their struggles. They had they've had injury issues both the last two years. They've gone into the season with really quality depth and ended up losing some key pieces and then having to kind of force guys into action. A, a good example of that is last year on the defensive line. You lose a couple guys in camp, and Brennan Jackson emerges as probably one of your top pass rush threats for the year. But that's partially because Ron Stone Jr. did not play nearly as much. Now both those guys are back, right? So you've got a ton of depth, a lot of experience. The talent is there. I think the front seven, you alluded to the linebacking core, Jihad Woods, is as productive a linebacker in the country as you will find. Justice Rogers has been a starter for four years, former high school quarterback. I mean, they're two vets at the linebacker position, that quality depth on the defensive line. Your question marks are going to, become, going to come at the safety position. Really new free safety, uh, Halid Jabril, who hasn't had a ton of time. Daniel Isom has kind of bounced back and forth between corner and strong safety, and he ultimately has settled into that strong safety role. So, 
that's the question mark. Really the one to keep an eye on that I think uh, people would be surprised to hear is the cornerback position is a position of strength for Washington State. Jalen Watson, number zero, is one of the most physically gifted corners in the country. He, he will absolutely play on Sundays. He's got a phenomenal story where he was committed to USC. It didn't work out. He ends up working at a Wendy's while going to junior college and not even playing football. And then Washington State is able to get him into school, get him recruited, and now he's one of the best players in the Pac-12. So him, uh, you know, having him out there on one side just locks down half the field. So if you're worried about depth then, is Washington State excited to have USC in the conference opener, which is the third game of the year it looks like, and then the Utes in the fourth game of the year, right, the week right after? Right. You know, I think getting – I think there's two sides of it. You you play Utah State and then Portland State both at home. So you got to get off to a fast start for, for the Cougs if they want to ultimately look at competing in the Pac-12 North and then also going to a bowl game in Nick Rolovich's second year. Having USC that third game, you know, you get them in Pullman, which is great. Get them early. Hopefully the roster's healthy. You've had a couple games to kind of see where you're at and get some quality reps and maybe, uh, you know, kind of some of the feel good, hopefully. But – I think that early season schedule could play into the hands of Washington State um, as they, you know, as they kind of go through this season. You know, the flip side is if a Utah State team, you know, that with a new coaching staff and kind of reinvigorated comes in and sneaks up on the Cougs, right, that starts a tough slide potentially as they go into the, that tough conference schedule. So Leach has a lot of connections here. You know, he went to BYU and he still has family here, his brother. I think his parents might even live here. Uh, but uh, as the thing worn on, you know, the, the, the one criticism I had of him is it seemed like, you know, when they won, he got a ton of credit. And when they lost, he turned on the players and really ripped them. And towards the end there, I know he got in that spat with the Spokane newspaper guy and calls him out at the end and of course everything goes viral these days uh was his time did it need to come to an end and how much of a breath of fresh air has Rolovich been well I think you know with Mike Leach the there was an element where you know kind of his persona and the way he approached you know his program you know can wear on you right there's a lot of there was a lot of uh duplicity in the kind of the things that happen every year, right? You just saw it over and over again, like you're saying. Now he's kind of the, the genius behind it is the simplicity of the offense and the consistency in the, his schedule and routine. He gets players to buy into that. Um, but it also can rub people the wrong way, right? I mean, he's admittedly not a player's coach. I mean, that's just not, that's not his role. The, the assistant coaches kind of handle that piece of it. And so I do think to some degree that kind of starts to wear on you a little bit. I think from a program standpoint, um, you know, or from a program standpoint, Washington State was in a really good spot. But the question was, what was the next step? And, you know, for Mike Lee personally, he wants to show that he can do this at the highest level, right? So the next logical step for him was to go to the SEC. And Washington State was able to kind of fill the void with a, a coach that had a similar quirkiness but more of a player's coach in Nick Rolovich which was definitely I think a breath of fresh air and had a chance to kind of reinvigorate the program and so you know I think I think for coach Leach you know his time there was exactly what Washington State needed and this next step with Nick Rolovich he's had his you know heading into 2020 there was a lot of great things coming of it has had his struggles at times obviously and and it'll be interesting to see how he manages that heading through into this season because um, if he wins the ball games he's right back where uh, everybody thought he would be heading into 2020, but if things get rocky, then you start having conversations. 
So coaches will always tell you, let's not create any distractions here, guys. We need all the energy going one way, you know, focus on the next game and that. But the whole thing about, you know, him getting vaccinated or not, and then the governor issuing a mandate, it seemed like that was starting to turn into a distraction. They got that all tamped down. And are there any others if you're close to the program or are they focused on the next game, got everything rolling in one direction? Boy, you know, it, it, it was one of those things that definitely um, created a, a distraction heading into the season. I, I think it was inevitable uh, if that was, you know, kind of coach's stance that that was going to come, that, that train was going to come down the tracks at some point, and, 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 it, and it did right around Pac-12 Media Day. Obviously, that conversation, you don't hear much of that currently because in the moment it's not an issue. If it becomes an issue, right, if, if – he can't coach because of a, you know, a contact trace or a positive test. You know, if they lose, they've got, you know, if there's a couple other coaches unvaccinated on staff and multiple coaches can't coach in a game and they lose that game, right. That, that becomes a distraction very quickly. And so I do think um, right now, not really an issue. If it comes up in the season, it could be a really big issue. And, and I think that's something Washington State really can't afford. I mean, they need to be able to focus on football, on the game. They need to be worried about the preparation and know that they have, you know, their full coaching staff at full strength and ready to go. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. It was a distraction in, in, in the short term. Um, right now, not a ton of conversation about it, but it's certainly something you're keeping an eye on all year. What's your personal expectation for this team this season? I mean, I believe this is a bowl team, particularly if they can get off to a fast start, um, like I alluded to earlier. Washington State, under Mike Leach, showed that you can be a consistent winning program on the Palouse. You know, if you have a good system and you recruit right and you develop players. Uh, he left a great roster for Nick Rolovich of talented athletes, a, a team that can win games, you know, throughout in the Pac-12 and, and up and down. And so the expectation is that this is a bull team. And, and in some cases, if things go right, particularly from the quarterback position, you know, this could be a team that could win, I think, eight games, eight, nine games potentially. Um, but some of those question marks have to get answered early in the season. Well, I think clearly when you start counting up wins, they need the win against Utah State, and they could probably lose to the Utes and still keep some of those goals you, or maybe even all those goals you talk about uh, intact. But with BYU October 23rd, does that shape up as a critical game, one of those must-have games to get where you want them to get and where you think they're capable of getting? Yeah, I sure think so. I mean, it's, a, it's obviously kind of an interesting – the schedule piece is interesting, right? It's kind of middle of the season. It's not an opponent that – Historically, Washington State has played. Um, you know, I think it's. I think that piece of it creates some intrigue. I think the timing of it. You know, like you're saying, kind of late October. Um, you've got some get some uh, conference games under your belt. You're going to have to kind of figure. You know, you're going to really know who you are at that point. Um, so yeah, I, I think it is a pivotal game, and I think it's one of those ones that you know, for a program like BYU, they're always looking when they're on the national stage against you know other Power Five programs uh, to make a statement. So I think Washington State's got to have that one circled for sure. So you say you think both quarterbacks are going to play. We'll see if that happens. With that in mind, how long do you think it'll take before a, a starter is established? I don't think it goes any longer than the week two Portland State game. I mean, I think going into USC, you have to have your guy. I do think that, in my experience, having been in quarterback competitions, 
um, knowing coaching staff, like being in the rooms and being around them over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years is that, you know, they have an idea of, of where they want to go with this thing. And if it can get confirmed in, in week one, then they'll put it to bed heading into week two so, so they can move on. I know, you know, as a, as a player, as a, as a non-quarterback, as a player on that roster, you want to know who the leader of that team is. And so you don't want to be going back and forth. And historically, you know, Rolovich isn't going to be a guy that's going to bounce back and forth between quarterbacks. He, he'll give two guys a shot. But then he's going to try and settle on a guy eventually. Um, so I would bet, you know, again, no later than week two, they get this thing figured out heading into that USC week. Well, Alex, we appreciate a few minutes. And uh, given the way the schedule works, uh, I hope you don't mind us bothering you again multiple times later this season. Sure, would love to. Happy to do it. Thanks, guys. Washington State, it's going to be interesting. There's Alex Brink, their football analyst on the radio. It's Washington State and Utah State. Saturday night, it's Washington State and Utah in the conference opener later this month, and it's Washington State and BYU next month. So we are going to see plenty of Washington State. There will be multiple things to watch for. My only disappointment here is we got all day and we got two games to fit into it. Why do they have to overlap, PK? I don't need these two games at the exact same time, but that's what we have. The problems, the problems we have. First I, I don't world problems. We First world we problems. Uh, Rolovich has got some problems because it came to pass uh, this week, came to light, I should say, that uh, Cassidy Woods, former uh, Cougar receiver, files a lawsuit against the university and Rolovich, claiming that Rolovich violated his civil rights. He was kicked off the team last year complaining about his ex- potential exposure to COVID-19, and he was involved. Remember those Pac-12 players got together and they made some demands? Uh-huh. I never thought there was going to be anything of it. Uh, and uh, Woods is claiming Rolovich's acts were racist, I'm quoting, racist, intentional, malicious, and willful, and, gro- and in gross disregard of his civil rights. And our guy Dan Wolken of USA Today, he put out a piece that was published, uh, what's today, the third? So it was published on Wednesday. Nick Rolovich is only 42 years old, but his time is, but he's running out of time. Talking about how he's out of touch and shouldn't be coaching and Washington State's paying a heavy price for him because it's based on this lawsuit. That was filed August 20th, but it came to light uh, just uh, yesterday or the day before. So a lot of stuff circulating around Rolovich, and we know that he wasn't at Pac-12 Media Day because he didn't want to get the vaccination for undisclosed reasons and all that stuff. And if you don't want to get the vaccination, people are going to come at you and all that Stuff that goes back and forth there. I mean, I don't. I don't get into that. I got the vaccination myself. Uh, if I didn't, you would have slapped me. But uh, I was going to do. I was going to do it either way. I would not have slapped you. <laughs> well, when I went there, I didn't know actually. You know, should I do this? Should I not do this? And I knew you wanted it, so it played a factor. I want to get back. In the I get studio. that it was a factor, but the show was going fine with us yeah. on remote. It has been for months, and if you hadn't wanted to get it, we would have kept doing the show on remote right. for months. But at the same so. time, I consulted with people, one guy in particular who's a doctor that I trust 100% on all medical issues, and he said, get it. I said, okay, that's good. Yeah. Good enough for me. You told me. I believe in you. I have faith in you. You've helped me out in the past. But anyway, Rolovich didn't do that. Um, and that created an issue. So it's all the stuff that's swirling around, and he's only in his second season. He was thought of as a jovial dude from Hawaii. Now he's a guy who is who and that, knows, that matters the in other professions. It might not matter, but in this profession, with recruiting and your Washington State, you've got disadvantages. Washington, yeah, sure. Oregon, USC, they have advantages. Washington State does not. So I know it was a weird season, but to go one and three doesn't help. 
and to have a bunch of negativity and to have an ex-player suing you, that doesn't help. And recruiting is so much about perception. And so if you lose control of the perception, you're in trouble. And it doesn't mean you can't dig your way out of trouble because you can, but that's the harder path. And we know from coaches getting fired, a lot of them don't dig themselves out of that perception. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, they're ripe. Uh, maybe for the Aggies. Maybe not, but uh, possibly. That possibly be, they're ripe. That would be a stunning victory. And that would, for a new coaching staff, that would, man, talk about a plant-the-flag moment. To beat a Pac-12 school on the road, that would be a very— oh, yeah, what a shot in the arm. That would be a big deal in any year, but coming off a one-win season with a new staff, yeah, that would absolutely—a shot in the arm. See, it all comes back to vaccinations. Oh, I didn't plan that. See, look at Honestly, you. Honestly, I did not okay. plan that. But it would be a big deal. That would be a big deal for the Aggies. They're going into 17.5-point favorites here. You'd be one— and O, and Boise State would be O and 1. How sweet would life be? <laughs> <laughs> All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Everything you missed in this show, we will get you up to speed with a lot of college football next. The Big Show, the Big show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Joining us now, former Coug, our good friend Jordan Pendleton. BYU turning over the roster a little bit. Lay out some realistic expectations for this year's squad. I think as far as athleticism goes and potential, I think the athletes are there, but it's kind of unknown right now. Do I think BYU is going to only lose one game this year? Probably not. I think their schedule is going to be pretty tough, but I am excited to see how they respond off of last year with a better schedule ahead and see what they can do this year. So it's going to be fun to see, but it's definitely a toss-up right now. I think every Everybody's just excited to see them go get this first game under their belt and see what type of team that they're going to be. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. I think Zach Wilson is going to be in discussion as one of the top three to five quarterbacks very quickly. You know, within the next couple of years, I think you're going to see him rise. I think he's unbelievable. His ceiling is so high. It's rare for me to say someone has the ability to get in the stratosphere of a Mahomes, but I think this kid actually has that ability. That sounds a lot like what Tony Romo said when he was here for the Utah Open. And now he's saying it later, almost word for word. It makes me think this is what he really believes. And I got to say, I thought so when he said it in Provo, because I thought he was never going to rip Zach. But he could have soft-pedaled it and said, hey, in a couple of years, I think he's got a chance to be a pretty good NFL quarterback. There is a learning curve in the NFL, and it's New York, so it'll probably get crazy. But if he hangs in there, I think he can be pretty good. And he's not saying that kind of stuff. I mean, he's just comparing him to Mahomes. <laughs> Let's see, what would you do for praise that would be better than comparing him to Mahomes? Brady? I mean, <laughs> what's left? Mahomes, he's taking the league by storm. He's been to two Super Bowls and won one. He's been to three AFC title games. Mahomes is awesome. He's on a Hall of Fame track, and that's not even a controversial call. I just wish that Tony would have credited me because it's obvious he's copying me and the things that I believe. But that's okay. I don't need the credit. I know in my heart how good I am. <laughs> okay. Lay it on. Lay it on thick. <laughs> Lay it on and thicker. your guy, your hero, the herd, came out and said, "Oh, I saw a tweet about that. I saw a tweet about that. That, that will happen. You got to be conflicted because that's one of the guys that you look up to in his business. I mean, you po- you basically modeled your radio career after him, 
and he's ripping a local guy. It's got to be tough for you. No, I'm pretty good with it, actually. I tried to tell you two things I told you. Get off the Jordan Wilmore train and get off the Cowherd train. But you wouldn't listen. <laughs> the Jordan Wilmore train. I just picture a train pulling into Ogden. Jordan Wilmore's face on the side of it. Everybody hop on. We're going to Salt Lake. Oh, man. All right. Uh, we have so much ground to cover, and we've got like seven minutes to do it in, so let's jump in. BYU-Las Vegas, one thing you're going to watch for in that game tomorrow night, 8.30 on ESPN. Straight to the quarterback, Jaron oh, Hall's debut. a thousand things. But I know, but... You know. Yeah, obviously you're going to go right to there. How are they going to look offensively? I mean, guy, your guy, the hammer, John Wilner... Not only will the Wildcats of, cover got, the 12 and a half point spread, they will win the game outright. The hammer loves himself some U of A. <laughs> hey, that's a bias I had <laughs> no idea about. You identified it early and definitively. Just sitting there in a commercial break, we talk about nothing. <laughs> You're like, man, Wilner hates ASU and loves U of A. And I'm like, what? He writes in San Jose. Why does he care? He goes, oh, no, no, before he went to the Mercury News. And then you laid out the whole backstory for me. Give people the 30-second version of it. Yeah, I think he had a job in uh, Tucson there. Did he go to school there or just work there? One of their, I think he just worked there. Okay. By the time this casino starts serving $2.99 steak and eggs, the Wildcats be 1-0 and zero and flying back to Tucson without the need for a plane. Seven reasons why. Oof. Number one, BYU is overrated. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Uh, That'd be bad news, man. Okay. If BYU loses that game, they're staring at 0-3. I mean, if you can't beat Arizona, then what shot do you have against Utah and ASU? You would think, right? Comparative scores, preseason predictions, all that kind of stuff. Oh, man, I hope BYU wins 45-zip. <laughs> <laughs> You're classic. <laughs> you are a beauty. Oh, by the way, uh, that last segment when you were saying about the vaccine I was going to slap you, you chast a trailer just tweeted in, if at David DJ James hasn't slapped at PK Kinahan multiple times over PK's hijinks over the past nearly 20 years, I'm guessing he isn't going to slap him over a vaccine. No, but your hijinks. Your hijinks. My hijinks. I love the word hijinks. That's kind of low. That's that's soft pedaling it. I love the word hijinks. That is such an old school word. I mean, I could think of like crap or maybe something even stronger than that. Well, clearly, he. I'll take hijinks. You, you, Chasta Trailer, (laughs) likes you if he refers to them as hijinks. Yeah, I'll take hijinks. If they don't like you, the pot stirring and the crap and the negativity. So hijinks, he probably likes you. <laughs> I was thinking of bull something else. Oh, uh, that too. Yep, that too. All right, the <laughs> youth beat Weber State. The takeaway from this game, I don't know if you can narrow it down to one, but I think the three in order, order uh, Charlie Brewer as advertised. Tavian Thomas is the guy, but if he has a fumbling issue, then Kyle will be very comfortable with Bernard as a guy. Uh, ran it well, six yards a carry, and three catches for 41 yards out of the backfield. But, man, Thomas at nine yards a carry, and he's, he's big, he's strong, he's fast, he runs through tackles, runs a little upright. Won't be surprised if he gets, uh, 
gets drilled by a linebacker, a strong safety. That's a pretty big target right there. But he can dish out the punishment, too. That was pretty clear. It reminds me of a kid that Sun Devils had, Kalen Balage, who was played in the NFL for a number of years, scored like eight touchdowns against Texas Tech when Mahomes was the quarterback. I, I'm, you probably remember that. Uh, but a bigger kid, a bigger running back. And I saw some similarities. And Balage did make the NFL. Uh, so something to be said for that, obviously. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. But Balaj was a bigger guy who ran that way. And he was one time when they were playing uh, in the Rose Bowl against the Bruins, and he ran for like 20 yards. The Bruins were trying to strip the ball from him because they needed the ball, and he ended up in the end zone, and it was a big – it looked like a rugby scrum <laughs> because they're trying to punch the ball out. So it got slowed down, and the offensive line were able to catch up. And it's a funny play, uh, but I did see some similarities there. And he's a very good player. We'll see if Thomas can get to that level. They ran him in the Wildcat a little bit, if I remember right. I wonder if they would uh, they would do that with Thomas. I wonder if they would do that with Jaquin and Jackson, but then he didn't uh, he didn't dress for the game apparently. So right, save that for somewhere down the line, I suppose. Jimbo's firing coaches right out of the gate. Harding needs to be let go. So much talent on the O-line, but really, they just don't look all that good year after year. (laughs) Really? I wonder if Zach Moss thinks the O-line wasn't very good, because I'm pretty sure he thought it was good. Uh, Yeah, I don't think Harding's going anywhere. He, 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 what? He dared Kyle to fire him during a game. I don't know what year that was. That was awesome. (laughs) He didn't get fired then. No. Probably not get fired now. The O line does need to be better, and Nick uh, Nick Ford, who'll be on our show Monday, tweeted that out. Yeah, improvement coming. Good night, Utes. So it's a work in progress for sure. Yeah, but that's why you open with a big sky school, so you can make mistakes, know you need to improve, and still win by twenty three points. Right, but can you make that improvement? I mean, you can know you need to do something. Uh, but can you do it? Is well, I think thing. with this O-line coach, this offensive coordinator, and this head coach, they always get it fixed. So okay. I assume, yes, there were problems, but Kyle pretty much told us going in there are going to be problems when he says there's three guys and I'm not sure they're going to be able to go. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like we should get ready for a dominant O-line performance. Okay, but is he going to be ready to go against the Cougars because they're going to provide a much different test? Right. Well, we'll see what Kyle says next week. Um, I I mean, I don't know about the health concerns of these guys. That's important. That's that's a big part of the mix. Um, I I would assume they'd be ready to go because that's what they've been in the past and there haven't been any changes to the three guys who ought to have a big say here. Right? The old Harding ought to have a big say. Sure, but it's up to the players to do it. It is, but the coaches have been recruiting players who can do it really haven't changed much either. I think they're going to figure it out. It clearly wasn't good enough. Brewer took too many hits. Agreed. And I yeah, thought a couple times yeah, the running yeah. backs, there wasn't enough of a hole there. And they did what Kyle said. Well, put your head down and make two or three yards. You know, push the pile. Make it happen. And they did. But nobody's here looking for two- and three-yard carries against Weber State. But I also told you, Weber State's defense two years ago, they played two Mountain West schools, and they did really well. 6 nothing in 1913 against San Diego State and Nevada, who are you know top half of the Mountain West. So for a big yeah, sky now. team to defend like that, well, San Diego State was better then. You're right, Nevada was on the way up and probably not as good at that point. Um, 
I think that, uh, you know, I think Weber State's defense is really good. I think that's why they've had a lot of the success they've had. And Jay Hill, you know, played for Kyle and then coached for Kyle, so that's not really a surprise. All right, coming up next, your feedback. Stay with us. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The new look Aggies hit the road to take on Washington State to kick off the Blake Anderson era in Logan. Catch all the play-by-play action beginning with the pregame show at 8. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone, and it is time for your feedback. Everything you think about this show, and we have a lot of people weighing in on their impressions of the Utes after the opener against Weber State, and PK people are all over the board. At Utah Utes 22, the glass is half empty. His impressions are O-line, special teams, drops. Oh, and did I say O-line? I can agree with that to an extent. The offensive line needs to get ironed out, yeah. So I don't know that I'm going to base it on uh, that game and think there's an issue, but uh, it's a concern. Kyle was very, I believe, circumspect is the word, as far as which he was very open that players that that they could be missing three guys on the O line, but he didn't say who those three were, how he ranks them, how many of these battles are close and could be changed. So, do you have any confidence in knowing who the Ute's best five offensive linemen are? Not right now, no. Right, I don't either. So. I wonder how much this is still a work in progress, how much he didn't have the guys he wanted. Uh, does he want this to go somewhere in the future? How much he reorganized based on what he saw? Or is it just a simple matter of, I know who the guys are and they just got to play better? Uh, got to get back, got to get healthy, got to get ready to go. So I think it's a combination of a lot of different things there uh, before they get it ironed out. And, and you know, the games are going to start coming at you, obviously, very fast. So it's something that's very important to get done. And I think, uh, well, first off, we'll just be watching the game for the sake of the game with BYU and Arizona, but special note to how BYU's front plays the run and how much they get after the quarterback. Oh, for sure, Knowing what's coming in the second game and the issues the Utes just had on the offensive line. Yeah, um, it's probably right now, because I think they showed enough at running back to settle my questions there. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm still concerned, as I I spoke earlier in the show, about the defensive backfield uh, against a more uh, lethal passing attack, and then the offensive line. Those are my two things right there. And and I have a question on Devin Lloyd. Can he continue to be the best linebacker in the country? <laughs> that is the question. Because he might only be the second or third best. And sure. Other he was than that, super, I'm good to go. He was super impressive. That was yeah. very impressive. And you see a guy laying out, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's Devin Lloyd. Well, why wouldn't it be? Right. <laughs> of course it is. That was an awesome play. Who may? Oh, yeah, it was Devin Lloyd. Of course it was. Uh-huh. Yeah. Heath tweets at us, Utah's quarterback took a bunch of big hits in a pass game. A concern? Yeah. Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe a little less concerned because even though it was only two plays, Rising looked good. I mean, he looked like looked like he knew what he was doing out there. And so all of the stuff we heard about, hey, Rising's not making this an easy decision, even though it's a small snapshot, he backed it up in the two passes he was allowed to throw. Uh, 
Uh, I think Rising will be fine when he gets his opportunity, but if you're assuming Brewer gets hurt because of injury, why wouldn't I assume Rising gets hurt? Yeah, see, that's a possibility, right? (laughs) We have seen teams be down to their third-string quarterback. So I thought Brewer took one of those big hits. I thought he took the... One of the two or three biggest hits he took in the game, I thought he took by choice when he rolled out and decided to run. He he could have slid, and he didn't. And he was trying to be a tough guy, and maybe he's part of being a transfer and fit in and showing the guys, you know, no I'm need tough, to. But no need to. No need it. to, right? Now, he also took big hits in the pocket. And once I thought he held the ball trying to get it downfield, and he did, but, man, he paid a price. You know, and that's it's part of the game. And when do you risk it and when do you get rid of it? And and he stood in there and held it. So I don't think there's any questions about his toughness. But no. if you're hurt, you're hurt. You know, and, and he took some licks that could hurt a guy. So. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Football Friday continues with Hands and Scotty next on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.